Welcome to Back of the Rack, a video game podcast about hats long neglected and not respected. Hats that everyone's heard of and hated or no one's heard of and loved. We play the hats in between the essentials and the unwanted, but mostly we wear what we want on this podcast. I'm Sandy, here with Bendez, and our special guest, Sean Shonson, day one, number one fan, numero uno, PS1 extraordinaire, all the way from across the pond. He is here, was finally doing it. Shit, that was that was flawless. That was perfect. That was perfect. That, that was so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can watch us on YouTube, uh, which we consider to be the optimal way to experience our content or listen to us in podcast form, wherever podcasts are available. Make sure to like and comment on our videos and leave good reviews for podcast feeds. It helps us and is the fuel that keeps us going. We hope everyone watching and listening is doing great, and we thank you for joining us today. I'm Bendez again, and this is Sandy, who already introduced everybody and fucked everything up. <laughs> Just kidding. You did great. You did great. <laughs> Man, that was, that was fantastic. Truthfully, truthfully, that was great. Uh, so, how are we all doing? First, Sean, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. First off, thanks so much for having me on. This is the, the first podcast I've ever done, which, you know, considering my status as a mediocre white man, is actually quite surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like that's our that's our whole grift, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Look, I've been a long time watcher since you guys started. You uh, you started out with Bladestorm, and I was like, holy shit, no one talks about Bladestorm. And I mean, that's really the whole gimmick of the podcast, right? Yeah. You know, games that ain't nobody else talking about. Exactly. So uh, that was that was my jam. I was into that immediately. So thank you so much for having me on. I was waiting for you guys to talk about a, a PS1 game so you could I could sneak in here some at some point. <laughs> We've had you in mind for a while. Like we were, yeah, we haven't done a PS1 game, but I, I think every time me and Sonny talked about it and Sonny brought it up, he's like, yeah, we gotta have Sean on here if we talk about we cannot you know, a PS1 play game. PlayStation One like, yeah. without having Sean. I'm, like, a, I'm always I'm always happy to talk about PS1 games, as you may as you may know, <laughs> as, as you may it's kind of my brand. So, yeah, and look, the opportunity arose, and finally, it is time. So, describe to everybody sort of what your content on YouTube uh, is, and if you do anything, uh, you know, like where you live, and, you know, just just a little bit about you. Cool. So, uh, so I make YouTube videos about video games is my kind of how, how I advertise my channel. That wasn't really the intention. I was, like, really bored during the pandemic. And I love, like, the only thing I love more than playing video games is watching videos about video games. So I love learning about games. I love hearing people talk about games. I can't get enough of that shit. And I especially love when people talk about shit I haven't heard of before. Because I'm always like, wow, something I don't know. I feel like I've been watching YouTube for, like, way too long. So I feel like at this point I kind of know everything. <laughs> but then when I find something that I don't know, I'm like, holy shit, I'm into this, you know? So I was, like, watching it one day and I thought, you know what? In spite of the PS1, or like, these kind of consoles being super popular, there's like people not talking about a lot of stuff. So maybe I will try talk about stuff today instead. As a way to kind of, you know, not be bored <laughs> while sitting at home. So, um, I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna make a YouTube video. And then I made like a three and a half hour video about Disney games. Which was a terrible idea for a first YouTube video, by the way. Do not make a three and a half hour video as your first YouTube video, because you will... It will take a month and you'll obsess over it. 
and it, and it will be your worst video, <laughs> even though it should, <laughs> no matter what you do. But I did that, right? And then I was like, you know what, this is actually really fun. Maybe I'll keep, keep doing this. So it kind of got to the point where I kind of got this bug where I was like, hey, there's a lot of games out there, a lot of games, especially on the PS1. And I kind of have to figure out a way to get them out to people. Because for years, right, you know, like you want to find out about new games, you want to find out about cool stuff that people ain't talking about. You can't really type in and search for like an obscure game because no one's talking about it, nobody's made that video. So I try to figure out a way, how can I like make stuff and just get cool, weird games out to people through uh, without having them have to manually search it, if that makes sense. So I was like, I'm gonna combine my love of game shows and I'm gonna combine my love of video games into a singular piece of content. <laughs> so my, kind of my thing with my videos is that I like to just pick games at random from a big wheel uh, that I think are obscure or maybe people haven't heard of before and we're just gonna talk about them for about 10 minutes. I'm gonna play through the game and then when I'm done playing the game, I'm gonna talk about it in edited video review form. And then we Spin see how that turns out. the wheel. It's like Spin stuck wheel, in my man. head now. Wheel of Fortune. We have like a, a game show back in Ireland called Wheel... Uh, it's not called Wheel of Fortune. Winning Streak. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. That's everywhere. Yeah, we have something called Winning Streak. So we're heavily heavily involved with the wheel-based uh, minutia over in Ireland. So I was like, shit, I'm just going to steal that idea. And I'm going to spin a wheel and then we're going to play whatever games come out of it. And that's kind of been my brand for the past while. Spin the, the weird wheel of strange PS1 games and then just play literally anything and anything. And in a way, right, that's a lot of fun for me because I get to discover a lot of new games and I get to play true stuff or I have like a reason to do it. And then at the same time, people can tune in and find out about some weird stuff and you don't know what it's going to be until you watch it. That's, so. That is the main premise as well with us when it comes to this podcast. Like we, at first we started as being like a, oh, this is a hidden gem. But then I realized, we both realized, had like an epiphany one time where we were like, we're not really covering it hidden gems because a lot of these games like that we cover we were like well you kind of know them but you don't really mm. know them and we always wanted it it's like a like how you saying it's like a video game book club kind of sort of where you're just like i'm just gonna play this game i'm gonna have a little bit of fun and then i'll talk about it to everybody else let them make up their own minds like uh your latest video with uh johnny bazooki Oh, Johnny Bazooka Tone, yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is this is a me game, a platformer, music-based, <laughs> fuck the government as game. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you shoot people with your sax. Like, that's you so shoot cool. people with your your like guitar that you play while you search out your other guitar and rescue like the gods of soul and jazz and stuff. Like, it is that's, like it, that's so cool. It is a cool ass game, and and this is the thing, right? When I like play a game on the channel. Uh, I, I, li I like to give my thoughts about it, but I never want people to think that, like, what I say is law when it comes to a game. I kind of just want to show people the game, give some thoughts about it, and then let people go, hey, that looks cool. Maybe I want to play it, you know? Because even if I play, like, Johnny Bazooki, <laughs> as we call it, right, that is, like, I wouldn't say that's a very good game, but I think it's a very interesting game. And, you know, I would like to watch a video about Johnny Bazooka Tone, even if it's not a game that I think I would like to play very much, I would like to know about it and see it and have it in my mind, <laughs> which is kind of the way things go. So that, that's really what it's all about, it's just getting weird games out there to people. Doesn't mean they're always going to be stuff that's worth playing, but it's very, 
It's very rare that a game from that time period isn't at the very least really interesting or strange or has something about it that's just kind of like cool, I guess you could say. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you'd be, since you've seen a lot of our episodes or, I mean, if not all of them, you'd be one to know how we tried to like, <laughs> I feel like in every episode we were define we were trying to define what back of the rack was and it's because it's a very subjective um, sort of like premise that we have where it's like these games are emotional to us like you know playing Choro Q or yeah. playing Batman or Final Fantasy 12 which we had no real connection to but we talked about like our experience growing up with that um, so it's it is always a kind of hard for us to pick a game because it ha like we sort of intuitively know like okay this is back of the rack or it's not and it's yeah. hard like for us to define like you know um i mean sandy will be like oh this or that you know and i'm like is that back of the rack though or is that just like a game um that's a hidden gem or you know so so we try to touch on games that like aren't like oh this is a game that no one knew but it's super great or or yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We explain I, 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 the thing is, though, like, I kind of get the vibe, even with the games that you pick, right? Because, like, your first one was, like, Bladestorm, right? And Bladestorm is, like, it's a game from a pretty big developer and a pretty big publisher. But it's, like, but it, but it's such, like, an outlier in, like, the whole, you know, Warriors kind of... Like, there's so many Warriors games. Who, who the hell, you know, is, like, oh, Bladestorm? That's the one we're going to talk about. That's such a strange one. And, like, it even got, like, a remaster. And it's so it like a, like a re-release, and it's so, it's so strange. And then like Second Sight as well, which was like the I think the follow-up to that one. Like I love like that was like Free Radical, right? Like Time Splitters is like one of my favorite series of games ever. And then they just had this other strange uh, psychic-based one that looks exactly like Time Splitters. That's really good. But like, who the fuck is talking about Second Sight? That's a great game. <laughs> it's funny because if you search for content around the games that we cover. There's very little content around it. Fear Effect is one. Fear Effect and Final Fantasy Twelve are what's two, are the two where I've been able to go to YouTube and mm. find videos like that people have done thoroughly on these games. Yeah. Aside from just like a review, right? Yeah. Like, like an actual like, discussion, like because that, we're not doing reviews, you know, and and that's the main thing. Like, me and Sony don't want to to review a game. We want to give our opinion about it, discuss it at length, talk about maybe its impact or lack thereof and any yeah. context around, you know? So it's just really like, yeah, a, a book club in that sense. But <clears throat> to throw this back on course, Sandy, how are you? What have you been playing? I've missed your face. Aww, What's going that's on? so cute. We like recorded like <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't know what's going on man like i started like cyberpunk came out so i started playing that i got super into Yu-Gi-Oh. um <laughs> fell into that hole man nah, me that too yeah, man it's, that, that's that's a deep that's a deep pit Yu-Gi-Oh is man <laughs> like it's, it's, it was so fun getting the platinum and then as soon as i got there it's just not oh man anymore. isn't it isn't it the worst it's, it's like just, the game changes you're <laughs> like i don't want to get i don't want to drop out of platinum but i'm it's like afraid like, to play <laughs> It's like you drop out, you win your way back, and then immediately are like, 
We gotta do now, it. Is, is platinum? You guys are talking about the ranking system, right? Platinum yeah, is so, the highest tier, right? Yeah. So I guess just for, just for clarity, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel came out, which is supposed to be like the Yu-Gi-Oh! game going for the competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! game. So if you want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! Online and you want to play it competitively, this is the one that Konami wants you to play. Which is good. We needed that kind of game for a while, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. Because like Hearthstone, yeah. I always every time I played Hearthstone, I was like, well, if this was Yu-Gi-Oh. I wish this was Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't like, have I love I love before. card games, right? I love card games. The problem is like none of my friends wanna play magic. They just don't like magic. And for me, like if my friends ain't playing it, I I don't really have the will, I guess you could say, to play it. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of the same with everything. Like I've tried Hearthstone, I've tried Legends of Runeterra, I've tried as many card games as I can, but nothing, nothing is Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> nothing will be Yu-Gi-Oh. That brand loyalty Yu-Gi-Oh. right there. I think the only yeah, thing that want... gets close to Yu-Gi-Oh is, for me is Duel Masters, but oh, man. they haven't dropped the Duel Masters anything in 15 years. So, well, they probably have. I feel like they have, probably have. It's probably just Japanese exclusive at this point now, but yeah. Yeah, you, I feel like you have your one card game, and that's like all you have the capacity to like learn. Learn, yeah. Like you can Dude, learn all of them, but just like your one. Duel Master sounds like the subtitle of a Yu-Gi-Oh game. You- it does, doesn't it? Yu-Gi-Oh, Duel Masters. Like Duel Masters is like like I would I would latch on to anything that was like anime and or card game. And if it was an anime card game, I, I was in. So when Duel Masters came out, I latched onto that immediately. But we had Duel Masters in Ireland for, I'd say, about three months and it was gone. <laughs> it was just, that, I bought all these here. cards. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> what am I going to do with all these cards? What am I going to do with all these cards? Then It was, I think, the Naruto trading collectible card game? Like, they had, like, a whole Naruto one where you, like, it was pretty much magic. Like, you had to build Chakra every turn with, like, mana. And it was the weirdest thing from, like, fourth to fifth grade because, like, we would play it, at, like, in the recess, we'd be like, yeah, man, I got my deck. Dun, 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 boom, boom, boom. And then it just disappeared off the face of the earth. And I just don't know what the fuck happened to it. Same with, uh, dra- there was like a Dragon Ball Z and a Digimon trading card game. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was every every IP Everything. you could imagine. They There's had a Final Fantasy card trading card game that's still going, I think, as of right now. No, There's a trading card game. If they can make cards, because like, I, when I was a kid, I spent like any money that I could like gather together, I just wasted it on cards. I was I was a fiend for cards. It was bad, you know. And you I had to kind of justify. Oh yeah, oh like that was, I didn't even know how to play Pokemon. Nobody in my school knew how to play Pokemon. We just bought cards and traded them. It was like we didn't we didn't even do anything with them. We just had them. It was like a status symbol. Yeah. We'd show up on the playground and just stand around with cards <laughs> in our hands, not playing anything, just just thinking about looking at them. It was it was terrible. These cards. Yeah. I, I looked up the Final <laughs> Fantasy cards, and they have the worst cover, like art I've ever seen. I don't want to say the worst. Yes, it's, it just it's doesn't look great. like a trading card game. Like it you can buy like, like a cloud deck or a lightning deck. <laughs> that's 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 what you're buying on them. I don't even know how it plays. Game. Yeah, <laughs> it's so that's why like Yu Gi Oh because Yu Gi Oh had an anime that like kind of taught you how to play the game, but no, not including the first season, which didn't teach you how to play the game well. <laughs> taught you how to kill people though. So I tried to kill people. Oh, <laughs> season zero? Oh my god, that was oh <laughs> that gosh. was murder, murder everybody in your school who uh, who's wronged you. That was that. That's good stuff. Once Battle City came out, and I was like, okay, I understand how to play this game now. Then, uh, then I got real into it. I actually have I drew, the movie yeah. on DVD, the Yu-Gi-Oh movie. It's and, good. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm like, I don't actually know what's happening, but this feels this feels right. This feels like a good movie. There's like a few great series. Yu-Gi-Oh movies. There's like a few of them. There's like one where they get all the cast of like the first tree series together, which is pretty great. There's like a No Way Home version. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, man. They did that way before No Way Home. Yeah, that's it's a very uh, like Japanese media narrative is like the time trial. Like the Power Rangers movies do that quite often, right? The cross like. Oh, we're gonna get the dino, uh, and then like the rescue force, and all the like. Those are the best kind of episodes. Bring them all together. Or it's like the entire yeah. line of Yellow Rangers, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it's something. There's something inherently satisfying about that, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've been doing okay. Nothing uh, crazy has happened. Um, so I've been playing Horizon. Forbidden West. I just started that last night. I don't know if I can say I've been playing it, but I put like five hours into it last night. And Are you playing it on PS5 or PS4? PS4. Base. PS4. So my Whoa. my shit sounds like it's about to fucking take off. Yeah, no, my, my PS4 has not been doing good for a long time. I don't even play in it anymore because I'm afraid. Really? <laughs> I, I fear. Yeah, no, I just like, you know what? It's it's dying. <laughs> I need to uh, probably clean it out, maybe dust it, but um, the game is beautiful for sure, and I was telling Sandy this last night, that I feel like I'm getting bad at games, especially after playing today's game that we're going to talk about. Uh, there's so much the game throws at you where I'm like, so many buttons. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many things. I'm like, I guess I haven't played a PS4 game like or a current or next-gen game in a while because I've been playing a lot of games for the podcast. But, yeah, I just feel, like, slow. I'm like, I'm not picking this, like, wait, what? how do I, I gotta craft now? I got to, like, hold down and... There's a lot of things. I don't know if you guys feel the same, like, when you're jumping between older games or newer games. You're like, holy shit, wait, this is a lot. Yeah. Like, the problem with, like, because I'm kind of invested into YouTube now, what happens is, like, I would say a good 90% of the time that I'm playing video games, I'm playing PS1 games or I'm playing old video games. So I have, like, this mindset from, like of somebody who lives in like 1995 or something and it's it's real strange so like when i go back and i play a modern game i almost feel kind of alien it, it feels alien in a way so like i don't even i can't even think of the last like i play modern games and just i'm just bombarded with stuff you know and, and funny enough when i played because i haven't played the new horizon but even when i played the last the, the first one i thought i was like this game's really hard this is a really no, tough no, game. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, I just stopped playing halfway through because I was like, nah, there's too much stuff going on. Because I felt like I had to, like, zigzag through the whole map and clear everything. And I was like, no, nah, I got to just mainline the story. I was, having, I was having fun with it. But, like, normally open world games, like, I would do as many, like, side quests and, like, everything. And I get, like, kind of overpowered early into the game. And Horizon, that was not happening. Which is probably a good thing, really. It's good to be challenged in video games, but I don't know. There's actually like a secret I, I, thing I, with Horizon, I think, where like the more of a robot you kill, they like level up and evolve. So like the more you like do that, like grind and get overpowered, the game's like, all right, so we're going to put a rocket launcher on that wilderness now. <laughs> no wonder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the game is like... Trovers now, this is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely... One of those things with open world games where they can become like collectathons and they can throw all these different ways to do one thing. And it's kind of like about, and I think 
it sounds like we kind of have that like mentality to try and complete maybe everything or like try and get like you know Sandy is zigzagging through the map because you want to get to like you want to see everything do everything you know and I feel like sometimes you can't play these games this way or else it'll break you because there's it's just too much content like Assassin's Creed Odyssey which you like a lot of people didn't like because of the abundance of content it had I I loved that game because it felt like there was so much but then I started to realize I'm like well I don't have to do everything I just like want to see what I want to see if I discover it it's cool and if not then I'm I'm I'm, I'm fine you know and it's it's hard to let go of that where you're just like okay I'm not going to be able to do everything but I got the enjoyment of like it's, this open world it's a mentality that I'm finding very hard to break it's because it's like you said I like I came from you know, playing like Banjo-Kazooie and Mario 64, where the whole goal is to collect every item in this tiny little map, and you feel really good about it. I love doing it. To this day, I still love doing that, you know? And open world games, you know, a, a lot of its best content is the, is the, you know, carefully crafted story content that goes through it. And then the side stuff, right? You know, you could go to like, I don't know, if you're playing any open world game, there's usually like maybe like a base to raid. There's some stuff to find on the map. You know, that stuff's fun, but, like, it's padded out so much that you find yourself doing a lot of this kind of miscellaneous, boring content a ton because you want to, like, achieve everything. And that's okay, but when you're doing that more than, like, the good content, it kind of wears the game out a little bit. And that's what happens. I spend, like, you know, 80 hours playing an open-world game that I don't finish because I'm, like, I'm bored of this. And why am I bored of it? Because I've done all the side content before finishing it. Like, yeah, like I, like, I recently finished Cyberpunk, right? Which I thought was really good. I had a really great time with that game. But for some reason in my head, I was like, I'm going to do every single side quest, every single mission in this game. And it is, it is not worth it. <laughs> it is okay, not worth thank doing. thank you for telling me that. And because that's what I was doing like, before the podcast. There are, there, here's the thing. There are good missions, right? Everything that's like a normal mission is good. But there's these things like police scanner hustles, which is just like random guys yeah. dotted around the map and you kill them. There's loads of them, and they are not worth doing at all. Missions, cool. Side missions, cool. The police scanners, all that stuff, don't do it. Say I got an achievement on like Steam for doing it, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see if something happens. Maybe I'll get a cool car. Maybe I'll get a cool bike. I did not. <laughs> Nothing happened. So I, I've technically 100%ed this game, but I, I could have had a much better time had I finished it in like 30 hours as opposed to 50 hours, you know? But it's a good game, but it's just, that's the mentality I got to break. I got to get out of doing that. No, yeah, that's exactly like we're trying to complete everything, especially with older games where they couldn't do as much. Um, yeah. And actually, uh, I was playing uh, Forbidden West in front of my girlfriend, and I was telling her, like, games are so detailed now where it's kind of hard, at least this game, and maybe it's just me. I'm a very yeah. visual person. And I'm just like, maybe, like, I can't tell exactly what I can and can't interact with anymore because yeah. everything looks so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how Cyberpunk like, is, too, where you can walk up to a wall and it'll actually, like, let you touch on the touch screen. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is yeah. This is, this is necessary? Do I have to do this? Does this activate some hidden feature? Like, I have, like, <laughs> exactly, OCD yeah. where I'm like, I got to keep interacting yes. with everything. Every little thing I can pick up, I got to pick it up because I don't know if I'm going to yeah. need it later. It's it's an older generation mentality where, um, like, you could kind of tell, like, okay, I can go down that path, uh, but that path clearly, like, it's 
not as detailed. It's I'm definitely not going down there. Or you know, like you, everything that was important was, uh, you know, like I guess highlighted in some way. And in yeah. Horizon, everything looks gorgeous. And I'm like, <laughs> where I even a side quest tower looks like that would be where the main quest would be. But it's just like you know, it's, so it's kind of like overwhelming, overstimulating. Where it's like, okay, I need a backup. <laughs> shit. But anyways, always, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so uh, I guess we can just jump into what we're talking. Uh, like, yeah, the topic of the or the game of the podcast, which is Fear Effect. Cue trailer. just go over um how we felt maybe like an overview of what you thought about the game so sean you can go first since you're the the guest cool so fear effect um fear effect's like one of those games that i came across years ago i don't know like how popular it was over in the states but like you know i'd be in school and people would be like yo fear effect that's a cool game People would talk about it and people still talk about it to me to this day, even though it's not like super popular in the general sense. People remember Fear Effect, right? But yeah, I would have been about, let me see, it came out in like the year 2000, right? So I would have been about nine years old. And keep in mind, right, uh, people did not care about age ratings for games. Like all the kids were playing, we were playing Grand Theft Auto, we were playing Resident Evil. That was just the games, like the more violent and the more gory the game is, people are into it, right? And Fear Effect, I, I thought Fear Effect was like a, a scary game, I guess you could say. Maybe the name gives it away. Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a scary game. I didn't like scary games, so <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a scaredy cat. So if the game looks scaredy, I, I don't want to play it. <laughs> but like guys would talk about it and be like, yo, this game's really cool. And for years, I was like, okay, no interest in it, right? Couldn't care less about it. Uh, and as time went on, right, I was always curious, like, I, it was one of those games that I knew very little about. I knew people spoke, not not necessarily highly about it, but people always thought it was, like, a cool game, a memorable game, I guess is a way to put it. So I was like, you know what, one day I'm going to try this game eventually. And sometimes 
when I get ready to think about what sort of videos I'd like to do, uh, you know, about certain games, I might try out a game for about five minutes or something just to kind of get like the gist of a game, get the vibe. And I played like five minutes of Fear Effect and I was like blown away, I guess you could say. Because I had no idea what kind of game Fear Effect was. I didn't know if it was like an FMV game. I didn't know if it was like a tank control game. I didn't know if it was like a third person action game or whatever. But I didn't know it was like a combination of all of these things layered on top of each other. Right? As soon as I went in and I realized that this was like a basically a tank control action game, I guess you could say. But on top of an FMV game, like FMV backgrounds, like I was like, I'm walking around on a video. Yeah. I was like, this is the coolest shit. It didn't hit me until the second disc that we were that everything was a video. Like and once we got to the like the one where in the video, like the one in the village where like the guy is hanging and he's like, wow. And I saw it loop. I was like, oh, this is all video. Like it's finally hit me. I thought yeah. it was all just ugly ass graphics. But... Yeah. Like, I mean, let, let's be fair. It hasn't aged the best in terms of like, <laughs> like none of this stuff really does. And especially if you're like, like, do you guys play on like CRTs or do you play on like modern uh, Sunday, you play. I played on a modern. I have LED, a right? yeah. I have an upscaler, so I oh, cool. Yeah, I used the retro tink, so like it made everything even way more like bloated. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is not good looking. I play on a CRT, so um, you're getting like the pure experience. Yeah, and even then, getting, even then, even then, it's like it's still on a CD, right? And I wouldn't mind like the video in this game. The loops are about maybe like four or five seconds, most of the screen, which I, I understand is probably necessary for how like, because you're putting all these videos in here and there's not a lot of space on PS1 discs for video, which is kind of the case. But just kind of opening the scene into like Neo Hong Kong, which I think is like the first disc of the game. I like every screen I went to, I had to like stop for a second. And I was like, this is insane to me. Because I've seen a lot of FMV games and I've seen a lot of games like, you know, with static background images. And right. I think games with static backgrounds kind of, even though they don't necessarily hold up all that well on the PS1 in particular, I think they allow for some really kind of beautiful and interesting environments and graphics that like I would say hold up a lot better than pure 3D in a lot of cases. But like seeing this in like FMV and being able to kind of like walk around on a video was just, I don't know, I, I thought it was just so cool at the time. The only other time I've, I can remember that in a game, I, I'm not sure which Final Fantasies, but I think like, I'm not sure if it was seven, eight or nine, at least a few of them had it, where you would transition into a cutscene and you're basically walking around in the cutscene while it played. It looked really bad, but <laughs> at the time that was still really cool. But I a whole Stephen game that does some, that? some like FMV backgrounds. Yeah, like happen. you transition into FMV and you're like in the FMV. As a little like pixel character while yeah, the no, video plays. We'll, we'll get into that because I thought that was uh, really incredible. Um, not even by like, stand, well, I mean, definitely by standards back then, but even to see it now, um, it's just like, holy shit, it looks really good. Um, so, Sonny, so yeah. do you have any like, uh, I mean, you were four. I'm, uh, so I'm kind of embarrassed right now because I was three years old when this game came out. I was literally a toddler. Um, and this is like one of those things that like I kind of keep talking about where it's like, oh, like PlayStation 1, like anything before PlayStation 2 GameCube era, 
is like a mystery to me. Like I don't really because I was young, like I was a baby. So like PlayStation one, it's like an enigma other than like the main titles and like, of course, JRPGs and rhythm games and stuff like that. Like the main games that everybody knows on PlayStation one, I know, but like, I never really like actually genuinely played PlayStation one games like that. Or like went out of my way to like mess around with them because I was always like, eh, I mean, GameCube. And besides, GameCube is now 20 years old, so it's kind of like, I'll just play a GameCube game if I wanted to play something old. But that yeah. sounds bad. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm not the PlayStation 1. It's okay. <laughs> man, the only thing I'll agree with that, like, when people talk about Atari games, I'm like, no, they're not very good. Everything <laughs> else is like, everything else is like, I get why people like it, and I get why people don't like it. You yeah. Know? So I just never really understood it, but I didn't know about this game until you mentioned it. I was campaigning ever since we did all agreed on doing the podcast. I was campaigning for Akuji since like oh, we yeah. have a giant list of like all the games <laughs> that like it's mostly a list of shit that I put on there of like games that I'm like, hey, maybe we'll play this one day. And Akuji is the only PlayStation 1 game I had on there. And I was like, come on, guys, let's play Akuji. Let's play Akuji. It looks so cool. And you guys Did I like, not have Fear Effect on there? Nah. And it wasn't until I like I was like, yeah, yeah we're going to play Akuji, guys. That's cool. And then you were like, no, Fear Effect. Because <laughs> I thought it was Akuji. And I was like, yeah, Akuji is like a cool game. It's like an adult platformer. Exactly. Yeah. Which, in itself, which in itself is weird. It's like the guys who made Gex. <laughs> but with like not a lizard <laughs> which is which is a great idea for a game gex but with no gex in it gex with no annoyance <laughs> with no with, with no annoyance yeah so but, uh sandy i yeah i also <clears throat> didn't um i've never heard of fear effect before because i mean like a couple months a couple maybe last year i watched a video that just had every ps1 game on it like a four-hour video just like it is it a is little... my favorite video <laughs> yeah you just like watch it and just a 10 like, second oh, blurb of each video yeah and i just yeah. like write down everything that looks interesting to me fear effect was one of them and i bought it because it was cheap it was one of the cheaper ones you know on that on the video and then uh yeah, I, I thought i added it to the list but i guess i didn't but because i was gonna do a video on fear effect anyway because when i played a few minutes of fear effect i was like okay i need to stop because i would like to it kind of fits into the narrative of the kind of videos I like to play where you can kind of go through the entire experience of a game and like almost every aspect of it is interesting to look at visually. I was like, this is the game, you know, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I know it's going to be entertaining. I know it's going to be interesting to explore and bring to other people. So when you guys mentioned, yeah, we're thinking of doing Fear Effect, I was like, yes. i can play this game and record all the footage yeah so like that's the plan like whenever this podcast is due to go up there should be a fear effect video just appearing around the same time yeah you know that's the plan cross promotion yeah (laughs) exactly cross promo so uh yeah so sandy what did you what are your overall i guess thoughts um Um, your, your summary you guys know i'm the resident evil fanboy it's either sonic the hedgehog or resident evil and Resident <laughs> Evil 5 is indeed my favorite Resident Evil out of all the series, but I enjoy <laughs> replaying the older tank control fixed camera ones. So this was like a really like a real treat to me. But the FMVs, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about the actual, but overall, I thought this was a pleasant surprise. Like usually when we come to the podcast, 
I usually understand why certain like certain games didn't really garner or become like cult classics or the mainstays in gaming. Like last last month with Choro Cues, where I was like, yeah, it's Choro Cue. Like it's a cool and interesting game, but like if they elaborated on the more, it probably will be like a very successful franchise at this point. But Fur Effect was one of those games that I just it was good from front to back and. That's odd, usually, when we're playing these games. Usually, there's a point where we go, I don't know about this, man. And I want to play the second game. Like, I want to play the second game. I missed out on the sale for Sedna. I wanted to play Sedna as well, too. And I'm really mad finding out that they canceled the third game, which looked super cool. That trailer that they have for Inferno, it looks so good. I, like, never have I watched a trailer for a canceled game and got, like, mad about it, like, all these years later. Like, like straight up, I was like, how could you? This looks so good. Yeah, because most it's, games, it's like, really frustrating. you know, like most cancel games, they'll explain the whole story of why I got canceled and all the planned features. And you're just like, oh, that would have been cool to play. But you're not really going to play it. Like, what was that? It was like one game where it was like uh, Avengers first person four player co-op game or something like that. And it's like, that sounds cool, but you wasn't going to play it. That's why I got canceled. But Fear Effect, yeah. I'm like, no. We needed this game, especially after these endings. We needed this game. They had a lot of that stuff done. Like, they had a lot of that game done. And Eidos, like, I don't know from what I gather, like, Eidos were like, yeah, we're restructuring uh, the company. So we're just not going to make this anymore. And then they, like, shopped it around to other publishers. Nobody bought in on it. So it was just done. I wonder what it was about. I sort of, I I guess we'll get into this later, but um, I'm going to jump into what I thought about it real quick here yeah um so uh i feel the same way as sandy and you were you know the visuals were definitely super appealing and it was a pleasant surprise sandy you mentioned that you know you we always run to that point where it's like fuck this game (laughs) like i don't want to fucking finish this shit but like for for some reason this game did that to me several times because those the boss and the puzzles are so like excruciate well specifically the puzzles are like mind-bending where i'm like how would anybody know how to do this um and i think i played the first two discs without uh a guide so like i was just like what you know and i did want to quit but there was yeah there was something charming about it through and through after i started like to find a good rhythm with the combat and everything it's like yeah this is this is good this is really this is really special and I think the only thing that I really had issues with or that I feel weren't or probably were why it didn't get a third one was probably like it's there's a lot there's a couple of things that feel dated about it. And I don't think they knew how to update that for maybe a modern or modern back then, you know, for like the modern consoles of like the PS2, like um Maybe the characters weren't as compelling to many people. Like, you know, these pe- these characters aren't really grabbing people or they've been bastardized or perverted with, like, the second game, which seems to have, like, taken them into, like, a sexual um, direction and they didn't want to, like, have to manage that or scale it back and then people be upset. So it seems like there could have been a lot of, like, uh, tightrope walking on, on how to manage that. And a lot of publishers were like, nah, we, you... No, we're not going to pick this up. But I know those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, it's a very like 
even even taking that stuff and putting it aside, it's a very adult game. It is a surprisingly like gory, violent video game. Maybe one of the most like overtly violent that I've seen on the console. Like when people die in this game, they they gruesomely die. There's some stuff towards the end of the game, especially like which is I don't think I can't recall like a because you know stuff would be censorship was a bit like more heavy back then. Like when you would have a pretty violent game, like there was like a risk of it being. You know, we have to tone it down. But they, they did not tone anything down in this game when they when they came into that. And looking at the trailer for Inferno, they were oh, they were big on the violence in that too. There was some like proper body horror that I could see in that trailer. So, you know, I, I've yet to play the second game, Retro Helix, which is like uh, a prequel. So it takes place before the events of this game. But I, it's like you said, everything that you you see, or at least from you kind of get the vibe of the second game, they obviously kind of took a turn towards, you know, with the characters, maybe a bit more perverted, maybe a bit more overtly sexualized. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder how that kind of panned out as, as things went on. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not one to be a, against, like, you know, the freedom of expression in art. If you want to make a perverted game, you do it. I don't By all care. means. I, I will play it or I won't. The Steam Top, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Steam top Sellers is, is snitching on a lot of people. It's a very <laughs> market. Yeah, like, you know, like, you know, a lot of men play games. And so it makes sense that, you know, with especially Fear Effect 2, as we've seen, and we'll put some, you know, images up, but they double down on maybe some of the more sexual, mature, asp um, yeah, like aspects of the game. But also, you know, it's it's violent. It's a violent and sex. it's violently sexy the game you know yeah but it also has a lot to do with other things which we can get into you know with the story but um yeah i don't know sandy do you want to go over some of like the facts of when this game released and yeah. uh, some of the little tidbits that we usually do yeah so just to go a little bit over like we said this game is almost as old as me so sorry old guys <laughs> that are watching this especially you Derek. i'm sorry man it's uh oh my God. <laughs> but... by the way there was an episode where you said anthony i think i i don't know what episode it was but i have a friend named anthony and he and... watched that shit and he was like what the fuck <laughs> he's like what the f no <laughs> no no he, he didn't watch it but it made me think like if he ever did he'd probably think that like i told you to say that or something I don't know. It was, this it was is to you, this particular Anthony, not the other yeah. Anthony. <laughs> but around this anyway. time, just like the two-month span in between when this game released, because it released around February 2000, still the turn of the year, we got Crazy Taxi, Resident Evil Code Veronica, another fixed camera tank control game. We got The Sims, Vagrant Story, another fixed camera game, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, Majora's Mask. And this is just the two month span that this game released. So there's some, this is just the classics I listed. Like this That's isn't crazy. including like yeah. any like personal favorites and stuff like that. So yeah. it's crazy to me that like people were still talking about this game and it's still like, I see like care about this game because a lot of games, like one of my favorite games, oh, a lot of game changing stuff was released around this time. And it's very interesting to see because this game was also pushing a very, Technically wise, it was very ahead of his time, but also not at the same time, because within the same year, we're going to get Final Fantasy X. We're going to get the PlayStation 2. We're going to get a lot of more classics. That's why I was saying this, like just this two month span, we got all this, but it's like 
PlayStation 2 is about to outshine all this. And that's what makes Fear Effect 3 kind of sad that it got canceled because that one was made specifically for the PlayStation 2. And you can see the improvements. I'll pop the trailer up. It'll be here for you to take a look and everything so you can see how it looks like. It looks vastly different from the rest of the gameplay that you're going to be seeing through this podcast. Um, But it was produced by Eidos before it was bought out by Square Enix. This is back in the Dizay. And uh, Pakin Lip... How do you say that name? Uh, I mean, Pakin Lipterwat? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> he was the art director for Fear Effect and its sequel, and all the backgrounds were made by him. Um, he was also a concept artist on Spyro and Eternal Night, if you guys enjoy those games. I actually... That's actually news to me reading that right now. I didn't know about Eternal Night. That's actually really cool. But you can tell. Interestingly, his yeah, art is very have, nice. Yeah, no, it is for sure. He was a concept designer in a lot of that stuff. Um, a lot of these people that worked um, under this game, they have like, they like disappeared after like 2011 or 2015 that like they just don't seem to have anything under any more credits under their like belt. It's weird. Like. The director, John Zer Platten, this is like his first and only game that he ever directed. And then he served as like, um, he served in different roles for other games. But like, it's just weird. A lot of like game development is games. weird like that. Like, yeah, game development is like a lot of the thing about game development is that people get into it and a lot of people get out of it very quickly. It's like a tough industry to be in from what I gather from what a lot of people talk about. A lot of people move to like more a higher paying, more stable roles, you know? And as we can see, even with this, like a lot of people pour their hearts into creating these things. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Uh, sometimes you make games and they don't make a lot of money. Sometimes you put a lot of work into a game and it just, just stops. It doesn't even get made. So I don't know. Maybe they had some bad experiences doing that. Or maybe they moved on. Because I get the feeling that people who worked on this game could like, because CGI was really taken off like in movies at the time, right? Around this point. I feel like they they could have probably moved into something like that, for sure. Most likely, or probably moved into like a more technological field where they like I'm just going to do just assets for somebody. Or programming, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, was it Sonda? You were saying Square Enix bought Eidos. Yeah, so technically, Square Enix owns the rights to this. Well, no, yes, yeah. Technically, I think yeah. is that the case? Is that they own the rights mm -hmm. to Fear Effect, but they just don't do anything with I it i believe so i believe square are the guys who announced the uh like they published sedna i believe so i believe yeah so they still own the rights to it so i actually think they published sedna and they also announced the potential remake or remaster of uh fear effect so this is all square it's not square who are making it but they still kind of give the go-ahead and the green light for all this yeah which kind of makes me sad because I know for a fact we're definitely not going to get that Fear Effect reimagined or another cool Fear Effect game. Like, Sedna should have just been, like, a Fear Effect game not starring Mi Young or Glass. Just been, like, its own separate spinoff just to test the waters. And then they dropped the re But instead we get a top-down isometric squad action game. Yeah, that was a bit weird. I, I've not played, like, it would be nice to obviously revisit those characters, but, like, general consensus, because I, I have said, and it's sitting on my Switch, it was, like, a Euro in a sale on the Switch one day, which I think is how most people probably got this game. It's very cheap. And I was like, cool, I might check it out someday. But general consensus is just, it's so different than what Fear Effect was. 
and people don't like different <laughs> yeah you know like at all <laughs> this is very different yeah now we've talked about that in previous podcasts uh especially with blade storm um where it's like when a company establishes themselves as doing something uh successfully or efficiently or just well in general and they switch course to something entirely different people don't receive it well and that's goes especially the same with uh the game final fantasy 12 which we covered and you know people expected a certain thing from final fantasy games and the ip and they tried something new which makes sense because artistic people love to you do know, new shit chain yeah like yeah. that's just how they are or we are i guess because we're somewhat artistic and content creation so with fear effect sedna it just looks like low it looks half-assed for some reason just looking at the trailer i was like oh i don't know if you guys didn't get the budget or just like maybe you didn't have enough money to realize this fully but it doesn't really seem like too great yeah especially when like fear effect as a franchise is so i suppose latched to the idea of you know this i'm not going to say beautiful but like it's so visually striking as a game, as an idea, because I would say a lot of what makes Fear Effect special isn't necessarily the gameplay, but just how that gameplay is adapted within the world and the visuals within it. So, like, you know, I'm not going to say Fear Effect is, you know, going to win any awards for gameplay, but, like, it's one of those games that I can't take my eyes off, and even the most simple things are really just interesting in that game because of how cool it is and how good it looks. So when you get a game like Sedna, where you kind of strip all of that away, and you kind of, at that point, then it has to be kind of, its gameplay has to kind of make up for that, which just apparently does not. So. And to bring it sort of back to what I was talking about when, you know, they were shopping around, uh, or I'm sorry, you were talking about this when they were shopping the third one around and no one was, you know, no one wanted to bite. I think it's because of what you're describing, which is like, well, the PS2 era, they wanted to push graphics, and I'm sure FMV videos for backgrounds was like, okay, that's more PS1. Like, this feels a little dated. There wasn't much respect for, like, that sort of artistic style, which maybe at the time wasn't even seen as, like, a sort of artistic style. It was just like, well, that's what you guys were doing. And um, with the PS2, we can do more. And the the IP sort of loses its identity once you strip away the you know, FMV backgrounds and start to do uh, cell shading a little bit differently. And so maybe that was another reason they're like, yeah, we're not going to pick this up. It just feels like something that'll uh, dissolve and get like, we'll lose money on because it's yeah, not. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that game is like cheap to make either with the amount of work that they have to put into it. Like I, I'd say, cause even making it on the PS one, like FMV stuff is, is not, easy to do or cheap to do and considering how well they managed to make the game work within like the characters like scaling within the backgrounds and stuff because the entire time i was playing it i was like man they, they've they've obviously put so much work into making this like not janky because it could so easily be a mess yeah and there's, oh yeah it, there's certain times where you can see like if you clip it the right way you're like okay i'm walking over top of the fridge when i'm yeah. supposed to be walking into the door but <laughs> yeah and I, I like i'm amazed how little that happens like it does happen but even when it does it fixes itself pretty quickly yeah you know this is not it was not like it was not the work of uh amateurs i'll tell you that you know 
So I imagine like usually when people move to a bigger console, it's like a grander scale. They have more ideas. And as well as that, budgets get significantly higher. You see like entire teams dissolve. Like I know, I guess a famous example is Tomb Raider when they went to do Angel of Darkness and they had a lot of lofty ambitions for it. And it just completely killed core design. The entire studio behind Tomb Raider, incredibly successful studio, one mistake dead that's another idos game by the way <laughs> so actually that could that could factor into it maybe idos were like we lost so much money on tomb raider i think that's actually in the cover yeah. it's just like hey yeah. guys by the way tomb raider and it's also four discs long so i mean i guess they were making a game that's four discs long regardless of the fact that you gotta do all the fmvs all the extra stuff recording that and then doing a sequel i don't know how many discs the sequel is but i'm assuming four it's as well i, think, I was about yeah. to say yeah it's even even longer that game is yeah so it's uh it's expensive discs. to make eight discs yeah oh my god uh, side note but there's like a saturn game uh phantasmagoria i think that has comes on eight discs it's like the most discs for any console release of, of uh, available i would just love to have that just to have an eight disc game is it a, shoot for, <laughs> is it a for shooter a game it's no it's like it's actually kind of, it's an fmv game uh, well, that makes well. more sense. That but, makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, nobody would ever release. Imagine that, like an eight disc console game. That's just crazy to me. I was surprised that Horizon was two discs. I was telling, I was actually messaging Sandy what? A oh yeah. Days ago. I was like, yo, this is two discs. A wow. lot of these games are like a lot of the later games, like Final Fantasy VII, Cyberpunk, uh, Immortal Phoenix Rising. Like, there's a lot of games that are like. This is the data disc, and then this is the play disc. This is a whole disc to just install, and then this is the actual That's, that's disc. how you know you're, like, coming to the end of a generation when more discs come in. Because that was the same thing for, like... The 360, uh, right? The tree, Like, the only 360 game I remember playing. Because 360 used DVDs, right? Because, like, you'd buy Blue Dragon. That came yeah. on three discs. You buy Lost Odyssey. That comes on four discs, right? But when a PS3 game comes on more than one disc... That's when you're then like, you know okay. shit. Then you know shit's getting real. That, that was like when when I bought Red Dead and that had two discs in it. I was like, oh, it's happening. We're coming to the end. It's yeah, changing. yeah. Because I think the first, I think Grand Theft Auto have two discs on PS3. I uh, want to say Grand Theft Auto Five had two discs. No, it didn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it did. I'm not sure. But like, they made Grand Theft Auto Five look better on the PS4. Like it did, like Grand Theft Auto Five. If you go back and play it on the PS3, it does not run very good <laughs> at oh, yeah. all. I yeah, remember that but vividly. Like, nothing runs well on there. <laughs> yeah, except for Bayonetta. <laughs> that's that's mean because that's like one of my favorite consoles because of nostalgia. But let's play Ridge Racer Seven. That runs great. <laughs> the first the first game to come out for it, that runs well. <laughs> that's like one of the like the PS3 has so much like. Um, notorious like screen tearing and like bad frame rates i'll never forget like oblivion came out like the port of oblivion is like awful that was when because that was the first time where like because you the expectation was that the ps3 was going to be a lot better than the 360 and it just was not for a very long time in most cases the games on ps3 were were worse just because of how difficult the architecture was for for developing games on it yeah it was like the saturn of sony consoles yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is i don't know if it's one of those things that's hard to foresee right when you're making a console um, yeah. cell processing man where it's, where it's like this is a great idea yeah you could do so much with it and then you know you get it into the hands of developers like yo this is kind of difficult to that's why they got like because they did the same thing with the ps2 but like the ps2 was so 
like you couldn't fail with that. People had to just adapt to that, you know? The 360 made it a bit different where people kind of had a bit more flexibility and they're like, oh, it's actually easier to make games on this Microsoft work with developers. They have that in mind, you know, they're software people. So I think that's, I know what they did that with the PS4. They got Mark Cerny in, who did a lot of work early on with the PlayStation 1. So they had someone who was like a guy who makes games involved with the creation of the development tools and everything around it, which made it a lot better for people. And Mark Stern is on a whole like different intellect, like Steve Jobs. Dudes, yeah, like uh, between him, like maybe Carmack, John Carmack's maybe like the god, and then Cerny, I'd say would be like the console variant <laughs> of uh, of Carmack. Yeah, they're like geniuses in that realm. It's yeah. Um, just real quick to wrap up some of the facts here. So yeah, John Z. Plan was a director, right? Um, so his first game, uh that he directed was was fear effect and then he wrote some other games which i thought was really weird and i just wanted to mention them so teen titans fire you, game the, yeah which is a great game it's a great beat-em-up uh transformers the game a lot of licensed games fire fantastic game. for rise of the silver surfer fire uh, game wanted a was a riddick among some of the um, which were a lot later I think he's done some Disney stuff, but really interesting where his career went more to the writing side and of, of, uh, of licensed games. Do we have anything else to say about that kind of the, the facts developer history or anything like that before we get into the thought table? Nah, I was amazed to find out because I, you know, I usually like to play games before I, I do a bit of research into them because I don't like to kind of have, I suppose, any sort of preconceived notions or ideas about developers or like their history. I like to just take every game at face value if I can and then make my mind up and then see what other people say and what else they did. So when I played Fear Effect and I went back and I was like, Kronos, right? It's the name of the guys who developed the game, Kronos Developments or Studios. And I went back and I looked and the only other games they made were like a collection of fighting games. And I looked at them immediately and went, oh my God, this Kronos? The guys who made what some people consider like some of the worst fighting games on the PS1. There's like, in it's it's quite strange because I knew for a long time, right? I, I played, there's a game called Cardinal Sin, which is like a medieval fighting game. It's kind of, it's almost like Power Stone where you can run around like freely. And it's, it, yeah, like an arena fighting game. It's not amazing, right? It's, I've seen this it's before, pretty, yeah. It's, yeah, it's fun, but like, it's not, it's not great. But then I didn't realize like they made two games before that. Criticom and Dark Rift, I think are the names of them. And like Dark Rift is supposedly not very good but like criticom people say criticom might be the worst fighting game on the playstation like straight up so they came from a fighting game background if they developed like these which i think ps1 has a lot of like fighting games right it has the greatest fighting game street fighter 3 (laughs) does it we don't got Street Fighter 3 on the PlayStation, man. We That's what I was about Street to say. No, that was Dreamcast. I'm stupid. Uh, Dreamcast, yeah. <laughs> That's why Dreamcast Dreamcast is like the fighting game go. Because Capcom, we're like, we're going to make everything for this. You Dreamcast gets everything. Yeah, because PlayStation 1 got all the 3D stuff. Like, you got like yeah. MK4. That was on 64 and PS1. Yeah. Like, PS1 was like the dawn. Because like, Saturn kind of pushed into... 3d right where you got virtual fighter and at the time like the dawn of 3d fighting virtual fighter was everything 
until I think Tekken came out and people realized no Tekken Tekken is in fact everything. <laughs> and like and the, Dead or Alive spawned from Virtual Fighter, right? Everything, everything effectively spawned from Virtual Fighter. Tekken was like, I believe, potentially some of the people who worked on Virtual Fighter. Because a lot of a lot of what Namco did at the time was like they looked at what Sega did and they're like, we're gonna do that. And we're gonna do it slightly better. So when they seen Daytona, they're like, here's Ridge Racer. They see Virtual Fighter, they're like, here's Tekken. You know? And it usually takes Namco a few tries to get it really good, but like, you know. If you look at Ridge Racer and you look at Tekken and then you look at like Ridge Racer Type 4 and Tekken 3, you're like, okay, no, these guys are really good at making games. It takes them a few attempts, but when they're good, they're good. But this is true. These, these guys, these guys, Kronos, right, after making like three fighting games, they're like, okay, maybe we're not great at making fighting games. This isn't going to make us a lot of money. Let's make a we Resident need to, Evil we need, to, we need to pivot. <laughs> we need to pivot. They, they kept getting better each game as far as I know, right? I didn't. Yeah, I always see. I've seen Cardinal Sin and uh, Chromacon, Criticom. I think is the name of it. Yeah, it's like so. Like Criticom and Dark Rift are like sci-fi themed fighting games, which I think is interesting in itself because there's not like a lot of signs. Like there is a few, but like it's not the most common thing. Mostly people try to make Street Fighter derivatives for as long as they could at the time, but yeah. I, I've yet to play it, but it's just one of those games I hear rumblings about a lot. Like, Criticom is, is bad, bad. So I'm intrigued that they kind of made such a hard pivot from making kind of mediocre and or forgettable fighting games to, like, just this completely out there weird change. I don't know if it was, like, a restructure within the company itself or they're like, we just need to do something new and surprising and cool. But I'm glad they did. I'll put it that way. Yeah, because they, they never went back to fighting games. No, so that, they left that behind. But they did leave a little Cardinal Sin. Uh, there's a poster, a Cardinal Sin poster in like one of the rooms in Fear Effect. That's the only callback I've seen. What? Wait. Yeah, you know what? I think it, I, I, yeah, I saw it was a in the uh, It was in the brothel. It's in the brothel, yeah. It's yeah. one of the rooms. I th- you know the room with the TV? Yeah, with the dancing that. girl. I took a picture yeah. of that room. The dan- I, st- I stayed in that dancing room. We'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But that <laughs> dancing room, I, st- I, I was watching that TV for way too long. I was mesmerized by it. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, since we're on that topic, let's jump into our thought table, which is presentation first. Sandy, you go. You're next. Hey, man. <laughs> you, you looked like you weren't paying attention, so I wanted to go for Oh, no, I was actually looking up like critical. Criticom, I was like, I want to see some gameplay of it. <laughs> what is this game, man? <laughs> yeah, so, so I like janky fighting games. Janky fighting games are fun for when you play yourself a little JMOJ and just chug <laughs> it down and then just get to playing the games. That's that's the best time the to throwback. play fighting games. <laughs> JMOJ. Uh, by the way, have either of you had that? A JMOJ? Irish I, actually, yeah. I actually had that the other day. Like, Did you I like made it? it? Yeah, I, I, they bought me a mixer for Christmas and I was like, you know, it's not bad, right? It is actually so what, really what is this? This is new to me. I've never heard of this before. I, I thought one of the episodes we discussed. It was one of the it was an E3 episode where we okay, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. stupid shit. And <laughs> <laughs> we would Which both, we will do again. We both poured drinks um, and he was like <laughs> Yeah, uh, my favorite drink is a James OJ, which is Jameson. No, we came up with the name James. You said it's just Jameson ah. and orange juice. Because I think so, I had so cranberry juice and whiskey or something stupid like that. Right, yeah. The The origin of it is... Um, 
So when you first start getting into alcohol, you're not really familiar with drinks at all, right? Yeah. And you're like, what? Like, what's a good cocktail to order when you go to a, a bar? You're like, ah, just give me a, you know. Something fruity. So, yeah. I, so I decided, being the type of person I'm, I'm like, okay, I want to be prepared. I'm going to just maybe buy, you know, some of the mo- like more common spirits, bring them home, and mix them with things and kind of make my own thing. So, um, you know, it, there's a screwdriver, which is vodka and orange juice. I decided Irish whiskey, <laughs> yeah, and, which is, you know, Jameson and orange juice. And I was like, hey, this is, I think this is good. I don't know what's good or <laughs> yeah. not. But Honestly, this is like, if it tastes good to you, that's really all that matters, you know? Like, there are some drinks that are like... Uh, you know, well-known combinations. And I'm like, this is not good. I just I realized like you this. just said Irish whiskey to the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I listen, I, I, I love that like Irish whiskey is is at least somewhat out there. Because like you guys specific. got like Jam- Jameson, Hennessy. These are all just like Irish names and Irish whiskeys. The only one you should not drink. I just want to take a moment to say that you should not drink Conor McGregor's whiskey. It is not good. <laughs> I want to call the man out. Proper 12 whiskey tastes like piss. Do not drink this whiskey. He is <laughs> selling you piss in a bottle. Do not drink it. <laughs> Distilled piss. Buy, buy the good stuff. Buy Hennessy, buy Jameson, buy Powers, all the good Irish whiskeys. But do not buy McGregor's whiskey. Just want to say that now. I just want to call him out. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the origin of the the jmoj so sandy you like it that's awesome yeah i I haven't had it in years honestly i I love the name i love the name that that is that is a great name for it and honest that is a like generally speaking orange juice and almost any spirit is like a good combination we we will like because orange juice is very acidic it's kind of like a nice balance to a lot of the more strong taste of alcohol i will point out though that me and my friend figured out that not every, not all orange juices are created equal. You can't get the yeah. pulp. And so, no pulp. And so, the, yeah, you don't no do the pulp. pulp. But also, we did the Donald Duck orange juice. That is the original. I don't know if you, you, had, got, you guys have that. Donald Duck <laughs> we do, orange we do, juice? We do not. <laughs> we do not. There's a Donald Duck orange juice. That might be some um, Arizona. It, that might be an Arizona thing. I ain't no, never no, heard of no Donald what, Duck orange what? juice. <laughs> it is Minute orange Maid like, orange juice. you fucking with me, man? <laughs> so That's Minute Maid it. orange juice is straight concentrate garbage. But I mean, if you if you like it, it's fine. I but, don't believe uh, you, no, man. Like, Donald Duck orange juice. No, I swear. There's, what the fuck? Oh, is <laughs> it always a, is like a can? Um, It should be a carton, but I think it might come in. I ain't never seen this shit. Disney does not sponsor this. What are you talking about? This is not no damn. Oh, wow. Look at this shit. Wow. I ain't never seen this in, the, in my life. Plus calcium, no pulp. Yeah, this guy. Disney, Donald. I, I mean, this. You're lying. Why, why Donald? Why Donald? <laughs> why Donald? What? Right. Is, he, what? is he known for his love of orange? I have no clue. This is the one, though, right here. Do you see this? Well, anyway. I would like to try this thing. Oh, man, we really went off track of there. I was saying this is like, important. This, this is okay. This is important. Donald Duck orange juice Donald is Duck not juice. everywhere. I, I hope, hope you all learned, learned something here today. today. I, I know I did. <laughs> so, uh, so Sandy, yeah, go ahead, man. What do you think about the presentation? Presentation is honestly the biggest part of this game. I think also playing like other games, we've now become conditioned to like look at everything. Because second sight blew our minds. We were like, okay, I got to actually pay attention to the computer. I got to pay attention to the camera, little small details in the wall. And this game, I love the small details of like, 
oh, you got to use this key. Like, it feels, I love that it's presented like a point and click adventure game, but also like a RE clone. And I thought that was the coolest part sometimes. And I'll get to that. <laughs> but like the FMVs, I thought was the coolest part about this game because it allowed for a more cinematic feel because Resident Evil, like it's it's a house. It's a police station. Like it's the same shit when, like, every time you're going to play it. But this feels dynamic, like because you're going to different locations. Because of spoilers, which we'll talk about later, like there's a lot of of crazy things that you'll see that it always makes it feel fresh and the fmvs make the environment feel more lively than it is because especially early playstation 1 playstation 2 a lot of the games on there they're kind of just like static background you know here's tree here's dirt path do what you got to do but the fact that you can walk down a corridor and the camera's panning out so you can see the two guys so you can shoot them with your two pistols is that's cool to me. I really like enjoyed that. Um, the delivery of the story and the way that it's conjoined, how there's different characters and stuff like that. I thought the way that they swap between the characters is very um, snappy. Like it wasn't smooth as it could have been. I felt like a lot of the times, especially on disc two, where you would just do something and then they would just stop and just cut straight to another person without any context of really why we're cutting to this other person other than the fact to just be like, okay, now we're going to let you play as him while this is going on in this situation. Like it was abrupt. Yeah. It was very, I would agree. Yeah. But at times, yeah, this too. Yeah. uh, The UI is, I see, I can't fault it, but I can fault it. Like I can, I can't fault it. Like if I didn't know that this came out in 2000, like, if I just bought Fear Effect, I was like, eh, whatever, you know, I mean, it's a PlayStation 1 game, it's four disc, and played it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is this is really good. But because this came out at the end of the PlayStation 1 life cycle, I'm kind of like, all right, now, like, we could have did a little feel, bit more with the yeah. UI. Now, what, feel do you like, what do you mean? Has I feel like it has something to do with the FMV parts of it. Because it's very strange, the idea, like, any FMV games I've played, they usually like there are some that just will not let you pause it. It's kind of strange. Like there's a lot of limitations that I think are built in with if you're having this full motion video play in the background, because you have to, I think, design differently around it. And I think that's where a lot of the UI elements kind of suffered in this game. I feel like the way they did the UI was specifically to cater to the way the FMV works. Like you can't just because what I really wanted in this game was I wanted to be able to pause and like access an inventory. Right, exactly. Which is just something that you which is just something that you can't do in this game. You have like two buttons to cycle left through the inventory and to cycle right through the inventory. And even when you like pause the game, it looks it pauses differently than a lot of games that I've seen. It pauses in a weird way. It doesn't look natural, <laughs> which is a weird way of putting it. But I feel like everything from the UI to the way the game pauses is all done in a way to cater and not mess with the FMV. So Yeah, because I guess they like, would have I had w- to make an FMV for you opening up your inventory and then for each in particular item, if you like examine it or something like that. Because there's a lot of I, items sometimes I was like, what is, what is this? What does this go to? What is it? But I feel like like Resident Evil, they will like explain it to you because you'll examine it and be like, this key looks yeah. like a heart. And then you remember, oh, the heart shaped door. OK, I'm going to run to the heart shaped door and put the key in there for you. But yeah, they like they like never cut away from the screen. Like even if you pause, it still has the video kind of in the background. 
it like never cuts away when you save it's still there there's nothing really that like takes away from it it's all kind of playing at the same time in a way it's strange oh they have um i want to say there's a design philosophy here which is basically like make it as immersive as possible you know let's letterbox it let's make it as cinematic and then let's sort of use this letterboxing the black spaces let's go ahead and put the ui in that space you know as to not yeah. cover up the cool video that we you know are overlaying on you know are under I mean, or underpinning onto these characters yeah. and then um let's not have them be able to go into an inventory let's always have them in the action as opposed to you know a resident evil or silent hill-esque you know pausing and then looking at all these different inventories I feel like maybe they would have been able to pause it because or to take you to in, to an inventory screen because you can pause the game. And like you said, like it still kind of runs. But I think they still I think they made a, a deliberate choice to have like the like UI elements where they are and not be able to like get more information because they wanted you to be like in it. Like, yeah, like like that was a sacrifice, like essentially. Right. For that creative vision was to have it as immersive as possible but you can't you don't know what any of these fucking inventory items do <laughs> so i don't know maybe yeah they make them they make the most out of it because it feels like a lot of it is you know it's it's a combination of combining an aesthetic choice with like limitations as well because as you mentioned when you kind of have the you know the black bars in the top for the aspect ratio that i feel is like a necessity because if they had the video playing in full screen it's obviously going to take up way more space and if it takes away more space, it's less they, they can fit into a disc. You know, I feel like in spite of the fact that each disc is kind of maybe about like under an hour, we, we could say. Like yeah. there's less like each disc takes less than an hour to get through. I would say that like each of those discs is filled to capacity almost, you know, and the fact that they could kind of narrow down the, the size of the video saves space. But at the same time, it also adds that cinematic element to it. And it also allows the, it also gives them space to incorporate UI elements that don't necessarily interfere with what you're seeing on the screen. So it's maybe not like it's far from the best that I've seen in a game like that. There's ways that I would love to see it improved, but I feel like considering what they were doing, they they did it quite well. I'm not mad at it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and it is impressive that there is um, failed like game over screens unique to like pretty much every situation in the game if you um, fall off a cliff or if you mess up a puzzle like everything has its own unique death animation if it has its own unique fmv for the situation and i thought that was like really enjoyable like sometimes i would die and i wouldn't even be, be mad that i died and i got set back 15 minutes because i forgot to say because i'm like well i mean he got shot up by the helicopter that's cool yeah, yeah. It's something I love about FMV games. This is this is kind of like a thing for those games where if you have a full motion video game, they always make really interesting ways for you to die and fail. Like if you make a, a simple mistake, they're going to make it a grand thing. They're going to show like a big clip, maybe very violent. And they would like go out of their way to make these really cool things for just like the most insignificant thing happening all throughout the game. And I like that that's a kind of staple that they include here as well. I always say, like, if you can pick a game and then go onto YouTube and type in death scenes and you can find, like, a 40-minute video of just different ways of people dying, like, Fear Effect is that game. There are a lot of weird and gruesome ways that you you can and will die in this game. And I guarantee you, there's probably about half of them I didn't see in my playthrough. 
yeah, that I've I missed. missed. And, I, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was the Tomb, the Tomb Raider reboot had these insane death scenes with Lara Croft. Where I was like, holy fuck. Like, there's one like where she's, you know, falling down this, uh, she's like, in some rapids going down the stream. I knew the exact one you were going to mention it. And that's and hilarious. She gets him. <laughs> she just gets like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. that, that game is just Lara Croft getting beat the fuck up. Like, even if she's not dying, she's just having a bad time. It's just a bad All game. the time. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Um, yeah, but I really like what you said about sort of the dimensions of production and I guess, you know, creative direction for the uh, look of this game because those elements that you're describing all have to come together and they have to, like, decide, like, well, how are we going to make this look? What are we going to sacrifice? You know, we really want to make all these unique death scenes, but at the cost of space, you know, and at the cost of maybe other things unseen. It, it would always it would be interesting to be, like, a fly on the wall in the board, you know, meeting when they're talking about, like, well, we, we, we really want to push this aspect of of this game like we really want to play it up but if we do we'll only be able to limit them to have like four weapons at any time and only be able to use square and circle to cycle through the like there's yeah a lot of give and take that we never get to see but we experience the end result it's always kind of fascinating to try and figure out like why that choice was made you know because there's so many reasons it could have been either laziness or lack of time or run out of money or it was on purpose and they just didn't get received by the the player well um so yeah i don't know that's that's really interesting um i i think i really liked the or son did you have anything like more to add about the presentation most of the stuff that i have to say is about the story <laughs> so okay. i'm just shut yeah the i don't up. have i don't have anything to say <laughs> about this stuff. so uh yeah I, I thought it was an interesting mix of like the cell shaded character models and the realistic M- like FMV backgrounds. Um, I felt that that choice made the characters really pop. And apparently they're not like really cell shaded. They're just not shaded. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Cause, cause cell shading wasn't really like, it's something that's not very common on the PS one. It's actually very rare to see any sort of cell shading at all. It's something that really as a as a as a kind of a, a an art star really only kind of started to appear around this time in the 2000s obviously like you know jet set or jet grind radio that like popularized it kind of put it into the mainstream that is like the cell shaded game but you know it's not the first one to do it this is still kind of i think one of the Mega Man legends i guess has a similar I, 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 like, yeah it's not cell shaded but yeah. it's like flat po- polygonal models you know that give like a cartoonish uh... yeah there's there's a few games on like that they tried that with but it's mostly games that try to create the uh, like a cartoony look because i i played a game uh called lucky luke on my channel which is based off of a like a french an old french comic book right and when they did that they tried to use like i, I suppose like an early style of cell shading it wasn't quite cell shading but they you could see like elements of cell shading into it where like it looked very different than any other game. It didn't look like a 3D character. It kind of looked, you could tell that this was like an ode to cartoons or an ode to kind of capture that animation style. And for my money, I think in terms of cell shading, I think fear 
uh, effect is probably the best example of it. Maybe if it's not like pure cell shading, I still think it's some of the most like detailed stuff. Like you could get a character up close. Like you, you look at a, a character up close in a PlayStation game. Most of the time, they do not look good at all. You can like you look at Solid Snake's face, right? That is like it's Metal Gear Solid is a beautiful line. game. It is, it is rough, you is know. It's a two like, pixel by two pixel <laughs> JPEG. You, you look, yeah. It is, it is not great. It is a great looking game, but you get it up close. It is not great. You get like Hannah up close, right? Like you can make her walk up to like the camera. She looks real good, like really detailed. Everybody in this game looks really detailed. You can see their facial animations. You can see the movement in their bodies when they like change positions and stuff. When they do roles, like every animation links into each other naturally, even picking up items and stuff. It's just it's really cool. And I think a reason they could do this is because there's like different parts of the PlayStation that are kind of working in tandem here when this happens. You have like video being streamed, right? But you got to keep in mind that because everything in this game is happening on top of video, all the processing for like the polygons and the 3D stuff and the characters, it's completely free for the PlayStation to kind of maximize the power. So when you play another game, you're basically, you know, you got to do the backgrounds, you got to do, you know, your skybox, you got to do the environments, objects. This game is literally just all it has to work on is characters. So you can have like detail, the likes of which you would not see in any other game, really, because it's just streaming the video in the background. And it's it's a really interesting way of doing things. And I think they kind of cracked the code in some ways here to make like to really push the PlayStation to its limits. And you can see that in the characters. Like I, like I said before, I would I would walk around in this game and I would look at a character, like just just stop and be like, this is crazy. This could be like a PS2 game. It's uh, this looks so good. I could say that you as know? well too. Like if this was released as like a PlayStation 2 launch title, you probably still would be like, yeah, this is this feels like a PlayStation 2 <laughs> this launch is title. Next gen. Yeah, the only thing that kind of like fools you is the fact that you can tell the video is streaming from a CD and not a DVD. That is, that is, you know, it is what it is. But like, as far as the characters are concerned, it's like, yeah, I mean, they it, also had to be as detailed considering they're so close at times to the camera, and yeah. like, you know, they if they weren't, it would really stand out against the you know beautiful FMV backdrops. Um. Yeah, so they, yeah, I think you're right. They definitely cracked the code, so to speak. Um, but I do think that was an interesting, like, because the FMV backgrounds aren't cartoony looking. So to have the characters have, like, this uh, pseudo quasi cell shaded look, but the backgrounds are, like, dark and, like, realistic, it's just interesting. But it makes them pop more. And I never felt like it was a clash. It was just like, it's worked really well. 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 Yeah, like I, they clearly, I can imagine they probably went through a few different styles because it. One of the great things about cell shading or that style is that it looks really great, but it doesn't use. It's not, you know, you're not using anywhere near as much uh, power processing power as creating like a highly detailed character. This is why you could have a game like Jet Set Radio, which looks like almost, you know, doesn't age. It looks amazing, but it's still like a really straightforward game that could run really well without like dropping frames or anything. This is another thing. This game like doesn't really stutter ever. <laughs> it's like a surprisingly like well-running game for how detailed everything is. Because this art style just really like when I say crack the code, I mean it. Where like you can make things that look great, but it's not super resource intensive to do it. 
So no. I, I, can, I was going to say when that it this, loops, but it wasn't like stuttering. There was one. I, I want to say like the boss when it came to like the bed boss when he was rolling in between. Yeah, I'd have stuttering there, there, there. But there were parts where like. So yeah, when I say it doesn't stutter, there are parts where like the game. Usually, the more models would come on the screen, it would slow. Like there are parts where you could noticeably get a bit of slowdown. But what I would say, this is the type of game where, like, on the PS One, like I know where if you have a couple of scratches on your disc, right? Videos sometimes have a hard time loading. If you have like a scratch on the disc of this game, it it Ooh. might it might just go to shit completely. So I feel like it, and this is the problem with an old game. I feel like if you got like a rough disc, this game could just. At certain parts, just not run well at all, which I think might have happened <laughs> to one of you. That might yeah, be no, crazy I, to think about. Like, I couldn't see any like scratches, um, but yeah, I still had like skipping, you know. And I was like, "Huh, maybe it's the my PS One. I don't know." But it wasn't, and it was usually during a boss fight where it's like it looked like the FMV was skipping, not even like the frames were dropping. But yeah. like it was just like choppy and like because uh. this this is kind of like i know for a fact as i think i mentioned it before because of the limitations of this right it's really cool that they have fmv in the backgrounds right but most screens that you go onto the fmv i would say lasts about four to five seconds sometimes less in certain scenes that last longer when it's like an important scene where they want to kind of give you some cool visual indicators or some information about where you are but some of the more basic screens, like every, everything is FMV, but some stuff they're like, right, we just need to show you like a leaf moving or a shadow or a bit of wind, you know, something simple. That lasts about a couple of seconds. And you always know, it's like you said, Sandy, you always know when it, it's, it changes over. You get like a small stop and then it resets to what it was at the beginning. That's always noticeable. And that's kind of like, that's like a PlayStation thing. It happens with music that streams off the CD. You can never really have a clear transition you always have that stop and then a start again and that's something that's like consistent throughout the game but i wouldn't say it's like you know immersion breaking or anything it's just kind of it is what it is it's a playstation game it oh it is of- immersion breaking <laughs> <laughs> it's a product of the time that's all it's it it is it is what it is yeah and you know back then you like you didn't know better yeah you didn't so know didn't these technical terms so you're just like that's weird Anyway, yeah, like it was still it was immersive for like as as immersive as it could be back then because you didn't know like oh well oh there, there's a possibility where this wouldn't skip. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I think the funny thing is that like when when I was younger, like I uh, I I wouldn't have even have noticed most of this stuff. I would have played this game and I wouldn't have even have considered it an F. I didn't even know what FMV was. I wouldn't have known any better. I was just a kid playing games. The game the game was the game, you know. Like I if, if I didn't think games look good i guess you could say like i didn't go the graphics in this are great i just put a game in and i played it you know it was only years later when i began to when i like understood this stuff uh that it really was like oh this is impressive or this doesn't look great or you know it was more just i was just happy to play the game so i think in a weird way if i had to play this when it first came out i wouldn't have actually really talked too much about it i think coming back to it all these years later with the hindsight and the knowledge of you know playstation games and fmv games in a weird way, it's more impressive now than it ever was. In a strange way, even with its limitations. Yeah, yeah. Weird, 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 I mean, ignorance is bliss. Me and Sandy often talk about like 
got to go in as How blind as you keep possibly can or else you will not like anything. <laughs> That's yeah. why I think for for games back then when you didn't know much about either game design, graphics, when you didn't know about if a story was good or not, if when you didn't know if a control if controls were clunky or if it was just you like and you yeah. just played the game. Uninhibited. You just you just you just did it. You put up with it. Yeah. You took you take it for what it is and you play it. Uh for anyone listening FMV stands for full motion video. So you don't want to take that for granted because I didn't, I've always heard of it. And I was like, wait, what does FMV stand for again? So I had to look that up just to make, just so anyone listening is not like, what the fuck is an FMV? Bro, I like, I was explaining I this know. to my wife and I was like, yeah, this whole game's FMVs. And she was like, <laughs> yeah, what is, what, what's it? That's, no, I was the same thing. I was like, I'm playing this game right. And the whole game, it's video. And you're playing on the video. And she's like, what? What do you mean? There's a video like, game, right? That's crazy, right? She's like, yeah, but it's, it's a game, right? It's like, no, but this is video. It's different. <laughs> it's like, it's like imagine playing on a VHS is weird. I don't know. I explained it very poorly. But like, this, this is the thing. Because like, I love like all old consoles. And I remember for years, I would get obsessed with like the Sega CD. Like stuff that I never heard about before. Like I didn't know the Sega CD was a thing. And when I started looking at all the games on them, like half the games are FMV. I was like, wow, can't believe they make games like this, you know, and they're not good. <laughs> but I love that stuff. You ever see like Mad Dog McCree or like Crime Force where you're like, you're just shooting a video of people. And like <sighs> actors are like going Ugh, and falling down. I'm like, that's amazing. That's so funny. It's like the best thing I've ever seen. I'm like, I want to play games like this all the time. They're never <laughs> good, but it's 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 just that, that's what they did. Yeah, because Mortal Kombat is technically FMVs. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, which is ugly. I've always thought it was ugly as fuck. <laughs> but that that was the big thing for a while. Yeah, that like once Mortal Kombat came out, like people when we got CD based technology, people didn't like think it was going to be like polygonal 3D. They thought like you're going to be able to play videos, you're going to be able to like play a movie. That was what people thought it was until they realized that's not very fun. It's hard to make a fun game out of that. Let's go back to weird. 3D, guys. Let's just go back to 3D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I and I think like not not to get too far ahead of it, but I think Fear Effect is like this weird outlier where somehow they managed to make a fun video game out of FMV. It's one of the very few examples where you can go, this is a good video game. That's also an FMV game. It's both at the same time. Yeah. They did something that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll get into how fun it is at any given point later. Yeah, sure. it's, it's, well, you know, it's fun. It's <laughs> yeah, fun. Fun. But uh, it's definitely an achievement. Um, so the soundtrack, what did you guys think of the soundtrack? It sounded like a because... porn game. I'm sorry. <laughs> like the main <sighs> intro, because I guess I had to hear it so many times, like loading the game. Like that was just, it sounded so cheesy. It might just be me. Yeah, it it might just be me and my jaded mind to where I was like, this sounds like Lisa. It sounds like nineties like it sounds like a product of its time. That that is like when I look at a game like that, it sounds in parts like what I think it would sound like. Yeah, a lot of There stock are parts sounds. where the soundtrack Yeah. There are parts where the soundtrack was quite understated for some for some aspects of it. Uh I remember like, but this is the thing, it was never like a soundtrack that kind of struck me where I was like, oh, this is it was always music that kind of suited the scene or fit the mood, you know? I think it complemented what was happening on the screen quite well. It doesn't necessarily take away from the game, but it also, like, you know, like, I would, I could hear music from the game and I could go, that's Fear Effect music. But 
like I wouldn't say it's necessarily like, you know, it's not going to go on any playlists that I have for video game music. It's good cinematic music that suits the game. Like when yes, it's atmospheric is when it's at its best. Like when it's just right. like, especially a lot of the disc four background noise. That was like the four is the highlight. Like, yeah, for sure. Four, four is when it really peaks. And especially I think like without getting too far ahead of it, like during the end battle or the, the last boss that is in that game. That's the first point where I thought this is really good. I really love this music. I really love the what they're going for here. You know, like I've always thought it was good, but that was the first time where I was like, this is like intense. It's really good. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it was very uh, understated for sure. And yeah, yeah um, it definitely amplified any of those quieter moments, you know, with like the atmospheric synths and stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a bit strange. Some of the sounds they used uh, the Chinese talking drums and other things like that, that they um, kind of put in there it wasn't a little bit like really stood out to me um but i do in these types of like adventure games i do like the silence i've told Sonny this before but like sometimes like just give me the that like it's just true. me and the hallway in the room like i don't need like a blaring soundtrack just like let me hear the footsteps they sync the tv playing in the background or maybe people talking like it, like the brothel when you could hear the uh the people in the restaurant i guess wait was that a restaurant yeah yeah Yeah, so yeah it was like it was like a restaurant downstairs and the brothel upstairs so like being able to hear like the ambient the ambient sounds uh really i think sets the tone uh because the soundtrack was very understated so i think that was probably the best way to do that um but there was yeah like the like discs for music you know had had to kind of be up in intense because it gets so fucking it gets wild it gets wild yeah it's 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 pretty pretty crazy crazy. so i played on a crt and i could i thought that that would somehow improve the visual (laughs) a little bit but like yeah there was a lot of artifacting with the fmv that was like really noticeable still which i was kind of surprised about um so that was kind of a shame i was like damn hmm so like you could even tell back then like that it was like it just looked very compressed. Yeah. yeah. It it yeah. definitely was amplified when like playing with it upscale. When I'm playing yeah, on I a PlayStation imagine. 2 yeah. and then playing at a 480p with GSM and all this other yeah. <laughs> jargon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you could tell like okay, the character model looks really good and then the rest yeah. of the background you're like like a lot of times I would die because the FMV was so compressed that I didn't realize that I could walk to this section or do something yes. because I'm like, oh yeah. yeah. There's a lot of distortion of, and part of that is how we perceive like space and everything. So perspective on sometimes would like be confusing to me or I would lose my place in relation to uh, where the camera was initially, like in a hallway. I'm like, wait, where the, where was that door that I just passed? Like, yeah. Where, what door is and that? It, now? I remember like the kitchen in particular in the brothel, like the kitchen, I was like, I would go the wrong way so many times in that place, you know. It's just it's just kind of the way that that kind of area is, you know. I do think it was impressive how much they managed to kind of keep a bit of consistency with the actual levels themselves. Like you you have to do a bit of backtracking and a bit of exploring in some cases. And I think it's impressive that they managed to make it as readable as they did. But you're definitely you're always going to get like 
aspects like that where you're like you run into one room and you're like where am i you turn around you take somewhere back and you're like where what is happening where am i going yeah it, it really makes me appreciate um silent hill one because they have like the you know static cameras uh for certain rooms but they also have a 3d camera so it's yeah. this blend of like you you get a good sense of space and like if you enter a room or certain hallways it still gives you like you kind of know you can map out where everything is at, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right to say that they did a good, a good job. It's just more of like one of those things where it's like, damn, this video is so compressed. And then also it's switching. Yeah. Of you. And I'm like, wait, where the fuck am I now? Yeah. Especially it's, it's one of those things like the PlayStation's never been good at streaming video. It's very rare, like any video that tends to be on the PlayStation, it's almost always like heavily compressed. So it's a ballsy move to make like a video like that where, you know, the entire background is is video because they have like other FMV games on there, right? Where it's like entirely video. Like, I don't know, you could see like the X-Files video game. That's just almost entirely video a lot of the time. And it's it doesn't look good, <laughs> you know, but that was like a game that was ported over from the PC. A lot of the FMV games that get put on the PlayStation are ports from the PC version or, you know, an older version from like a 3DO or like, uh, you know, Sega CD. And it's one of those cases where like the PC version always looks a lot better. And the 3DO is better at playing video than the PlayStation is as well. So PlayStation usually gets the short end of the stick. This is a rare situation where like it's only on the PlayStation, you know, so... It was a weird, I'm not going to say a weird decision. Clearly, like, PlayStation was, if you want to make money, this is the one that you make it for, you know? Because it's not like you're making this kind of game on the N64. But, like, there's no way it could not look compressed or bad. And I'm, I'm if anything, I'm surprised how good it looks, considering, <laughs> in spite of all that. <laughs> and and some of, like, the... Sandra, you had something on Twitter where you said, like, you know, cinematography is, like, the second most important thing um for film um it, it was specifically I, quoted for this game because i was talking about like that <laughs> that tweet was about this game because like, which i figured yeah yeah like a lot of the times fixed camera games they're just kind of just like okay we're gonna do this dutch angle over here and then we're gonna do this dutch ang angle over here is that the right term no dutch angle is when it's sideways is when it's like angle yeah. a little bit right yeah, yeah, well, that, that's yeah, kind of sort of what I'm trying to yeah. say, where it's like an angle of a hallway or an angle of a room. Like you'll normally pick a corner and it'll be like facing up or facing down. And it's never like like the way that the cinematography for all the FMVs was done was very um, appealing. Like it always kept you in the loop. Like sometimes you'll be right behind somebody. Sometimes it'll be right above like a top down view. Sometimes it'll be below and you'll have to walk over like the way like it wasn't always the same what i'm used to when it comes to especially all the resident evil games it's just the same camera angle non-stop throughout the entire game <laughs> but it's just different rooms but so like i can experience the game a lot more like i'm going to talk about disc four again there's a lot of spaces in disc four right like disc four takes place in a very open area but the way that the camera makes it look, it makes it look more claustrophobic and more depressing than it really. Well, it's 
literally hell but what am i talking about but But like it makes it feel more claustrophobic than it really is because it's really a big open world you can move in five 15 different directions and have a whole new cutscene. but i mean new scene but it felt nice and i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about i'm sorry (laughs) cinematography is interesting because in film it's the cinematographer uh, works in tandem with the director for the frame that you're shooting to convey story, you know, to convey themes, to convey some sort of emotion, um, to exaggerate a specific portion of the film. And but but mostly it's to serve the story. And, you know, a Dutch angle, by the way, is when it's shot at a slight angle, um, like some weird like canted sort of you know not flat like you know how our discord is like perfect yeah <laughs> michael bay loves yeah. them but anyway yeah, yeah michael bay uses them a lot um non-stop that and shake so there's <laughs> if you watch the first thor movie that movie is, is just thor the dutch angle, <laughs> the dutch <Yeah>. angle. <laughs> but um with games the and like these you know fixed perspectives those angles have to serve i would as imagine the gameplay more than the story you want it to be functional for you to be able to navigate now that doesn't mean you have to forego any like stylistic um choice to make the shot look cool but i would imagine that you would want to like pick angles that make it readable to the player to make it more enjoyable you know because there's there's a lot of really cool shots um first one that comes to mind is on the on disc one and it's like layered so on the side of the building, it's in Neo Hong Kong, and it's before you fight the final boss, and it has all the yeah. light, right? So there's a couple purposes for that level. One, it just looks cool. It's a yeah. wide shot. You you get all you get a good view of the enemies and where you are in relation to them. And then the um the Chinese characters, I don't or Cantonese, I don't know what the, I'm sorry, I don't know. It's Hong Kong, Kong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but um they're actually important to I mean they're like a puzzle element you're supposed to like read them and they're uh like you input them in a puzzle later on um so there's like those two thematic elements of like the gameplay is important here because you need to be able to see these these uh these symbols so that you can proceed in the gameplay so um things like that are very clever there's another shot in neo kong in neo hong kong where you're walking and there's like a, a neon light that's like looks really like nice and it adds some lighting to the area but it's essentially the sequence of wires that you're going to be using to disarm a bomb later on um so there's a lot of shots that i feel like function as like clues to the gamer but also stylistically have um weight to them you know and that's really that's really cool that's actually yeah. crazy i never realized that feet that until right now <laughs> the bomb really? did you i just tried to narrate yeah. the bomb <laughs> I I also trialed and errored the bomb. Was, this is the thing. There there were yeah, there were many parts in this game right where like I would come across sections and like I would get to the puzzle. Right? There are like to be fair right with the puzzles, I I understood a lot of them. Right? I actually like and I actually think the puzzles in this game there are some aspects that are a bit kind of like shit how is I meant to figure this out? But there's loads where like I just clearly missed all these hints. It made me, as the game went on, I became way more aware of my surroundings. I became way more, like, if anything looked out there strange, 
you know, I would like pay attention to it and I take it in, you know, like, cause the first one that was like very clear was that one you mentioned with the, the letters, because when you do the puzzle, you immediately go, how am I meant to know this? And then you walk out of that room and you immediately see them straight above you. And you're like, oh, this is the, this is the, uh, the sequence I need to enter for this. Right. And then I think the next one that was really like, okay, I like where this game is going with this is when the TV, right? When you're in the brothel, there's like this guy, a uh, girl on the TV dancing, right? With this weird music. And you're like, what is happening? This is really strange. I just and then you go to like, how you solve that puzzle too. <laughs> you go a little bit later and you're doing like this music box and there's like a, a dancing character on it and you do like shapes and stuff. And you're like, where have I seen this before? Oh yeah, the weird TV a few moments ago. So you go back in and you like look at the dance and you you, you take it in and you, you memorize it. And you go back and you do it. And like everything like, and that, like, I wouldn't mind like that TV shot was like, I just thought it was really cool, really weird, really strange, really out there. You know, I was like, I thought it was just there for fun. And then to find out it was a puzzle, I was like, oh, I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah. Um. What's interesting is that. So, I mean, after that's interesting in and it's a in and of itself because disc three i used a guide so i didn't i wasn't uh yeah I once i got to the train section what was that train puzzle when you had to type in the three numbers that's when i that, said all right, right i'm using the guide <laughs> but I'm, I'm, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's back up because that gets into more of the gameplay thing and yeah. i want to touch on something and that is of those visual cues in games because I only figured out the wire thing because my girlfriend pointed out that the flashing lights were the sequence for the tripwire bomb or whatever. Like yeah. I didn't, re I didn't figure that on my own. She's like, "Oh, that looks like this part of of the other game," and I was, or of the other scene. And I was like, "Wait, what?" So like, I, I ran back, and then yeah, like it, it tells you what sequence that you need to clip the wires with. Um, but I'm like, wait, am I not paying attention? How did you catch that? Like, how did you, you how didn't did play you, games like that? Know? What the fuck? <laughs> like, I remember in the cutscene, they mentioned about you need, like, they're like, you need to cut two wires and then you need to cut another two wires, like, in between, like, a break. Because obviously, you look at the bomb and it comes up flashing where it's like armed and then it flashes off. So I was like, oh, you need to cut like two wires. But I just didn't know what two wires to cut. I remember looking around and the problem is, like, you're in a room with like a bomb ticking, you know, naturally, naturally you're under pressure a bit. And it's also, this is the kind of game where, like, if something bad happens, you're onto a loading screen, you know? And this is another aspect that we haven't talked about yet. If you make a mistake, like, in this game, right, I hope depending on where you are, the punishment can be rough. Not, not as rough as some games, but you're, like, you're giving up, like, a minute or two to get back to it, to try again so you might fail again, you know? So you get a bit more, like, there's obviously times where you can take your time with puzzles, but in that particular one there, it's not as a... You know, you mess up, you're done <laughs> until you reload again. So it gives you a little bit less time to like functionally look at it. But I think it's interesting that that was picked up on because I was very carefully listening to what they said. And I was like, I feel like I've missed something here. But it was just me like not not picking up on a subtle cue. Yeah. And it was one of those things too. like the shot was framed in a way where that was the center and it was like lighting up and all that. And doing the first Hong Kong Chinese character puzzle or whatever, that should have cued me that like, oh, okay, so anything maybe that's more that's more active in the background might be more important for me to pay attention to, but I didn't get it. It just looked like a street sign that was like flashing, but it was like the two wires that you need to select to match each, you know, color and all that, but yeah. yeah. It was, and then, I mean, 
what you're talking about with the TV and it showing that girl dancing. Mm-hmm. That's that's fucking so cool to me. That's awesome. Yeah, I- yeah. Because I I I legitimately looked at that for about a minute because I thought it, I was just I thought it was so funny. Like the music, whatever song they were playing there, I was like, this is great. <laughs> whatever this is. Yeah, it was it was very strange. It was very it was very strange. It reminded me of like this weird scene. I don't know if you guys ever watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where they have like a weird dancing guy on the TV where they're all really high just watching him dance. It just reminded me of that where like you'd see this weird cable access show at like five and it's just somebody dancing on a screen to strange music. It was just really trippy. But then the fact that like that played into something that was actually there for a purpose. I was like, cool. I like this. Yeah. And that's what makes like it's hard to call it cinematography in games uh, because the I guess the direction or the purpose is still the same, um, mm-hmm. but it does serve gameplay, you know, and it does sort of cue you in like, hey, we're framing this shot. So, you know, just there's a couple of shots in Silent Hill where like they'll they'll have the item that is of most importance in the foreground and so like you'll walk into a room as i'm sure maybe you guys have played or not, i don't know um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it'll have like the health drink like lighting up and you kind of like oh you walk into the room and like you have your flashlight and it you it's it's such clever and artistic like like layering of like both like okay this is an important gameplay element and also it's just a cool shot you know for yeah, yeah. back you know so there's a lot of elements there that i love about the uh fixed camera perspective um that takes careful planning and also you have to be somewhat in tune with how people play games when they're walking into a room what are they looking at where are they going to move to you know um and that's not even taking into uh consideration combat because in most games when you're in combat like the level is designed for you to like have cover and all this stuff so like these types of games it's like no nah, man you gotta fight like, how you gotta fight <laughs> Yeah. Good luck <laughs> rolling out of this one, buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, so let's go into... Story. Wait, did you guys already talk about everything you wanted to with uh, presentation? Uh, Yeah, presentation was dope. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. long story short. Just want to add the guns, the gun sounds, good. I, I thought, like, some of the sounds on the guns were, like, just... Like it felt good to shoot it. It didn't feel like a generic sound. Like it's. I think sound design overall, considering like there's not a huge variety of weapons in this game. Right. There's basically there's basically pistols, shotgun, and like varieties of machine gun. But like there felt like there was weight to the guns. I like the kind of pop of the pistols. I felt like if you use the assault rifle, you like the assault rifle is like the best gun in the game, right? If you you could kill a lot of people with the assault rifle, but you feel powerful using that. And then if you're playing as a Deke with like his two two hand shotguns, which is my personal favorite weapon. I don't know if it's like the most effective weapon, but I just like that this guy just has two little shotguns that he carries around. Because why not? He's an, he's an Australian. It's, it's you know, it's their thing. <laughs> what did you think, Sandy? I was actually going to disagree with you on the sound, but then I did remember that there was shell casing noises and stuff when you like drop. Yeah. And I was like, nah, yeah. That's did you play with headphones? No, I played it out loud on my TV. So a lot of the sound, I wouldn't really be able to hear everything, more or less. Like, once I go back, like, adding gameplay over top of my face right now, boom, there you go. Uh, I'll probably be like, oh, yeah, that does sound. (laughs) Since I don't really have too much to say about this story, I guess. We're going to skip it. (laughs) We're going to skip it. So fuck you guys. No, I will. I'm going to add just that. 
I I don't know with with games. I just don't pay attention to the story for some reason. This man's like, got I do, but, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there's okay. Like there's something about the pacing of cutscenes versus gameplay that takes me out of any real urgency or any real flow of games. So like, sure. The opening where like you're in the helicopter and you get dropped off and you're like, hey, we have to do this. I'm like, okay, so I know the setup. Between cutscenes, I'm dying and I'm trying to figure out these puzzles and I like lose sight of the overall narrative. This is a me problem, by the way. I don't think it's part of the game. Um, And so it's always a little bit difficult for me to invest myself um, or to uh, like really care about the story. Um, But ultimately, I just felt that it was a bit disjointed. I really want to know what you guys thought because you guys, I mean... Like Sandy is, I always love what he says about stories. I like, I would like to hear what you have to say, Sandy. I'll give my, t- I have some thoughts about the story of this game, but I would like to hear what you have to say, Sandy. Oh man, that gave me the honors to butcher this story, man. Okay, so <laughs> at first I was like, because most RE clones, it has to deal with something, just like zombies, demons monsters something weird you know what i'm saying i want to call this an re clone let me just say fixed camera games let's go with that survival <laughs> that sounds like a studio horror games you know what i'm saying uh yeah and i mean of course with the name fear effect i should have hit me that this is going to delve into something crazier but i still didn't expect it when it happened like even when you fight zombies in discs too i was like Eh, that was just some one-off thing. It was just that's whatever. Right. That's common in Neo Tokyo or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then it hit me in disc three right after Deke died. I was like, oh no, they're serious about the demons. We're really getting into yeah. this right now. This is this is the thing. Yeah. I thought that the story was actually really good. I it's one of the most enjoyable things about it. Though I do feel like the story would be a lot better if it was just um Hannah or Mion real, as she's called. Real quick, mm-hmm. if either of you can give a good summary of the story. Uh I'm gonna try give a good summary of it. Yeah, because I was gonna say a whole bunch of motherfuckers and and the uh, inward <laughs> counter is gonna go way up if I explain that. <laughs> Niggas I, doing I, that. I, yeah, Niggas yeah. Doing this. <laughs> I was, I was waiting. waiting. I was like, like I, I want the counter to appear, appear at any point, point so, so I can, like, can like, sit here and be like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna nod politely. That's that's the best I can do. <laughs> um, I, I guess right because I'll give a brief summary. But I think the interesting thing about this game is that I feel like it's the type of game where it benefits you to probably read the manual first off. And this is something that I don't do with PlayStation games that I probably should do because modern games have kind of. Uh, uh, conditioned me to just turn the game on and I get all the information drip-fed to me throughout the game. I Because, you know, manuals aren't really a thing anymore. And in the past, if you wanted to get, like, a backstory of a game, like, some games, the story only exists in the manual. The whole context of the game and what you're doing is there for you to read. And if you don't, you ain't getting it. You're just playing a game without... It's, shit's just happening, you know? In this case, when you start the game, you know, you basically show up in your helicopter, you and Glass, right? Hannah and Glass. And the whole idea from the get-go is your job, you have a job to, to basically kidnap a, a daughter called Wei Ming Lam. And that's kind of the whole setup, right? The opening setup of the game is Wei Ming talking about some things that are going to happen and then her getting her throat cut. And then it just cuts to these people. You don't know who these people are. 
you don't know where you're going. You just know that you have to get a girl somehow, some way, somehow. But the idea of the game, right, as is as the stuff gets drip fed to you, is that you're essentially like a group of mercenaries. There's three of you. There's Hannah, there's Glass, and there's an Aussie guy called Deke who just shows up at the end of this one, I believe, <laughs> and right? He just goes, I got there's, two he's, pistols, he's, man. Who wants he's it? He's like, man, I got two shotguns, right? And that's where you're kind of like, okay, so these are like a group of mercenaries. They all seem to have a history with each other, but it's never fleshed out. It's just these are three people who are mercenaries together and their job is to to get this girl called Wee Ming Lam. And the whole game is you basically descending through like crazy situations to get this girl. You're like, oh, we need to go find her in the jungle. Then there's zombies in the jungle for some reason. You're like, well, that's crazy. Why is that happening? And then you go to a brothel, which relates back to Hannah, where like this mercenary girl might have once been, you know a sex worker against her will in the brothel. And that's pretty crazy. But then the person who runs the brothel might also be a demon. And then the girl that you're meant to get might also be a demon. And then it turns out, yes, in fact, they are all demons. And not only are they demons, but to stop the world from ending, you need to literally go straight to hell to sort things out. So the game goes from you, we need to get girl to like zombie jungle to like demon brothel, to like actually fighting inside of hell. And while that's really cool, it doesn't, you kind of just seem to go from place to place. Like it just kind of happens yes. sometimes. Like, like the thing that I got from like the beginning of the game, because the, the first disc right where you're in Neo Hong Kong, it kind of set me up for like a completely different kind of game, I guess. I kind of got this feeling that it's going to be like, you know, there's going to be espionage. There's like people betraying people because you got, you meet this guy called Jin really early into the game. Who's like a confidant of uh, Hannah, right? And he's the guy who has the bomb on him, by the way. He's basically giving you the information on where you can find uh, Wee Ming. But then he gets kidnapped or he gets captured and seemingly dies early on into the game. I say seemingly. He's just gone, you know. And then from there on, you're just kind of chasing around the world to try to get uh we ming back but it's like okay we're out of hong kong and then you're into this jungle and then it's like oh now there's just zombies you're like fighting dudes for the whole part of the first game you're fighting like soldiers like you know military professionals people who are part of gangs and shit related to like some sort of like chinese gang from what i gather yeah like a triad like there's obviously like we ming's father is trying to get her back and you're trying to get her and that's kind of the thing you're like against each other trying to find this girl but then, like, out of nowhere, there's just zombies. You're fighting zombies in the jungle. And that's a big part of it. You're just fighting zombies. They don't really question uh, it. They just kind of go, okay. Well, yeah. The only time where it's really kind of broke down is you come across, like, an old lady in this village, right? Who's, like, crying. And she's like, oh, the girl. She's cursed. She did this. And you're like, oh. Well, clearly, Wee Ming must have done something here. So then you come across Wee Ming. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I did this. <laughs> you gotta stay away from me she's being real mysterious about it right because what is it like you swap one thing that happens during the game I, I know we've mentioned it before is that during certain parts you swap between characters so you'll play as hannah and then something might happen to hannah so then you swap over to glass right who's one of the guys royce glass kind of the i'm gonna say like the the secondary main character the main guy anyway so then you could swap over to royce glass and he'll get like a different perspective of something that's happening around the same time 
And then they usually intersect where like Glass could do something that helps Hannah or Hannah does something that helps Glass. Um, but like you get these scenes with Glass where like he's following Wee Ming and she's being real cryptic. She's like, oh, bad things are happening or this is happening or whatever. It's like, what are you talking about, Wee Ming? What's happening? What are you, <laughs> this what she are you just doing? magically appears in the car and she's like, you need to drive. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, oh, it's like, fuck? all right, this girl, some, yeah, like something is up with this girl, you know? That's kind of the the way it works out. And then it gets more she confusing. She keeps doing creepy shit. It gets way more yeah, confusing because, like, like, maybe Hannah is a demon. Maybe Hannah's a part of this, or maybe she was touched by the. Because what I was getting from the final boss, from what he was saying, was that, like, she was immune to everything because she was given, like, touched by the blood or something of, like, that of a demon or something from the jump. So she was like immune to it, but then they were trying to imply that she was the daughter of a demon this whole time, which was like with the brothel. Seemingly, they were, from what I gather, is they were trying to like groom Hannah over years. Like, because the story, the backstory, like, there's not really a lot of backstory on these characters, right? The only character that really gets backstory in this game is, is Hannah, really. Like, Hannah is very clearly the main character of this game. Um, because. You don't really find out a lot about anybody until you get to the brothel and you start getting kind of like bits revealed about Hannah. Hannah, obviously, I don't know if she grew up in this brothel or she ended up there. Maybe she was an orphan, something along those lines anyway. And she seemingly managed to escape. Like she has a different name. I can't recall what her actual name is. Like me young but like something. Hannah. Yeah. But Hannah is like what she renamed herself when she escaped and kind of became a mercenary, which is what she is now. And... I think it's uh, Madame Shen, who is like the person who owns the brothel. She's like the original person who ha- held her captive or lived under her or whichever. So she escapes from that. But like seemingly Madame Shen and, you know, all these people, they all like remember the history of this character. Like they're all interlinked and intertwined in such a way. So everything that's happening here, they're like, we want like the plan was always seemingly to have Hannah be the person to protect Wee Ming or like carry Wee Ming into being like some sort of ultimate demon girl <laughs> from what I gather. That's so strange. That's the way that they, imp- that's the way that they implied it. Like a lot of this stuff only gets fleshed out by about disc three. And then disc four is when, especially towards the end, they start revealing a lot of these things. A lot of twists in this game happen very quickly. And I'm not going to say seemingly out of nowhere, but like, I don't know. Like there's, I audibly screamed yeah. when like, Deke died at the end of disc three and they cut off uh like because it was like back to back that they Glass. cut off Glass's arm. I'm like, yo, I, and then they just killed Deke. I was Yeah, they very quickly like kill people in this game. Like because you don't really get like the thing with Glass and Deke, right? I, I like both of those characters quite a lot. I like Deke especially. Deke, I'm like it's not like any of the characters are necessarily comic relief, but Deke is very much like the funny guy. Yeah. He's I would say he's like the most likable of the of the trio. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he just he's goes kinda, with he the says, flow. Like, he's like, eh, whatever. Fighting he demons, goes with okay, the flow. Cool. But like you're playing through the game as these guys. And like you do a thing and you go into a room and you're like, you're progressing normally. And they're like, oh, dead. Just straight up, like brutally murdered. And then not too long after that, like you're doing something with glass. I think you beat the the boss under the bed, which is like one of the, I'm going to say that one of the hardest bosses in the game, which is just literally a guy who hides under a bed and shoots at you. <laughs> That's a boss. The, the hardest boss in the game, maybe. Uh, you beat that guy and you're like, wow, that was a hard boss. And then you go into a room and 
his arm straight up gets like severed off by a sword and it's like a pretty it's not just, like you, you see scenes in like movies and stuff where people got like body parts cut off like glass is like selling the stuff big time he's, he's like, like oh, screaming he's like he's like I mean, out. He, it is a really good like it's a more accurate portrayal of somebody losing an arm than i've seen in many video games i'll put it that way and they don't end there like they they put him down into like a freezer they put him up on like a butcher hook and leave him hanging there. Like they they could kill this guy, but they want him to suffer. Like these guys are evil, you know. And then Which they, is a mistake, obviously. They killed Deke, and then they like had him shanked in through the heart, and then threw him off the wind, off the roof onto like, a spike. Yeah, I'm like why? Like, like Hannah comes in right. So this is where she like comes into like Madame Chen's room, right? So she comes into Madame Chen's room and she's like, oh, my God, if we have history together. And immediately she's like, look at your friend who I've pierced through the heart. This guy is very dead. And not only does she and not only does she kind of have to react to that whole thing, Madame Chen straight up, like you said, throws him out a window. And like he falls through like loads of glass, like hits his head off a spike. Like it impales through his eye, right? Yeah, like, like his head rips just like, straight it, up, like, like they show like zoom in on it, like ripping his entire like side of his face. Like they like his brain comes out. Like it's like it is gruesome. You know, like they like the guy's already dead. <laughs> they 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 double killed him. You know, just to make a point. And then you get the hell um, and Everything like is just so com- I don't want to say confusing, but it's just so much crazier because like the intro cutscene, like when I first started the game, and I'm like, okay, this random girl just got her throat slit. What the fuck? And then you find out that Glass was the one that slit her throat because he's like, look, we're in hell. I'm missing an arm. Deka's dead. Forget her. Just kill her. A lot. A lot of the story kind of boils down to. I actually quite like how the characters reacted in these scenes because. Hannah is straight up like, you know, when like the portal to hell opens, let's say like the, the ground opens up and there's like a stairway they can walk down to hell. And Hannah's like, do you know what? I've seen some shit today. I'm just going to My go. friends have died. I'm fuck it. Why not? Like, I'm not going to like if that sort of shit happens and you're already like, right, I'm probably going to die anyway. The world might end. Apparently, I would be like, yeah, OK, I'll go to hell. Why not? Let's do it. You know, and it's the same thing when like, like, I feel like Glass's whole character arc is he's like, he's really pissed off. His arm got cut off. And he just really wants to make somebody pay for that. I feel like that's his whole character arc. Like the dude, somehow Glass survives. He gets off this butcher hook anyway. And he like wanders down into hell. Not to like do anything. But he just wants to kill somebody because like <laughs> somebody cut off his arm. That's that, that's literally it. Like when he finds people, he's like, yeah, we need to stop uh, Wee Ming from destroying the world. He's like, no, this bitch fucked up my arm. Her dad <laughs> cut off my arm. I need to kill her. Like that's, he's just mad about it, you know? And like it's feet for him. He was trying to avenge Deke. Nah, he, well, yeah. well, technically, maybe he was trying to avenge Deke, was, but it was more does, or less he, a fact does, of yeah. I've gone through all this shit. I've killed zombies. I've killed hundreds of dudes. Gone through hell and back. Literally, where's my money and my arm? Yeah, Hannah is very much like we need to stop. Like we've gone to this point. We need to make sure that like the prophecy doesn't come true. Where the world ends, you know, we've gone through all this stuff where like glass is like my friends have been killed and my arm's been cut off. And you I'm just really mad, you know? Which is kind of but, funny like, because of the endings for this uh for this game. Like the normal endings is just kind of just like, okay, we did defeat them and then we just okay, whatever. But then the hard ending, somehow Deeks revived, somehow he gets his arm back. And he's like, oh, everything's back to normal. We killed the king of hell. Let's get the so, one. 
yeah, it's the it's the it's the ending that leads to like there being more stuff. Because I was like, when I seen all this stuff happen, like I understand that like Fear Effect Two is like a prequel, right? Which just just to clarify, like the story in this game, I'd say is like interesting. It I I wish it was more fleshed out, but I like the characters and it made me really interested in learning more about them. Like when I found out the next game is a prequel, you kind of see how these characters end up together. I was like, yeah. I want that. I want to see that. I want to know more about these guys. I want to see how they actually ended up as mercenaries. Because this this was the thing with this game. It was, a lot of stuff wasn't really... They're just kind of there. They're just hanging out together and they have missions. And then the story is kind of like you go from point A to point B. But I don't really know a whole lot about all these characters and their motivations and what they're doing. But that's when I played the game and I seen them like people dying and stuff. Like Deke is dead. And Glass has his arm cut off. And when you play like the normal endings, like when you... So just to clarify, when you beat the game on hard, you get the true ending. But if you beat it on normal, you can essentially get one of two different endings, which I guess are both like, in a way, bad endings, but good. They're not great. They're not ideal. There's five endings total in this game. There's there's two bad endings, two okay endings, and there's like one true ending. The bad endings are if you die during the final boss fight, they give you a unique cutscene where they show, like, bad stuff happening. Like, in an interesting one, like, for example, if Hannah dies during the final boss fight, um, Hannah actually doesn't die. They then show her kind of being, like, like going with uh, Wei Ming and, like, helping her kind of bring apart the end of the world. Like, she's just like, okay, I'm going to help the end of the world happen. So, like, she doesn't die, but, like, obviously, you get a game over immediately after it, but she's that's just how it ends. Eventually afterwards, yeah. Yeah. And then you get a similar one with Glass as well if he dies, which isn't as dramatic, but it's like another bad ending where Glass just kind of gets fucked up. And lots of people are having a good time. All the bad guys are celebrating and stuff. It's I think that's interesting where they kind of keep like an ending. Like it's it's an insignificant ending, but if you die during a, a, a boss battle, they give you like a whole different ending, which is like kind of bringing it back to the death scenes again. Every time you die in this game, you might get something cool yeah. that you could easily miss. And I thought that was the coolest part but, about the ending part. Like that's the one time I... I, I like when games have multiple endings and it's not tied to... I mean, other than the fact that you got to play this game hard. But that's okay. But, which, yeah. Yeah. Which which might actually be quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, just I like the fact that it's, like, a simple final choice where it's like, okay, this is the end. You're going to get one ending or this ending. It wasn't like a, oh, yeah. you didn't pick up this key and go in this room on this two in the middle of a village. And There's no, like, secret dog ending, like Silent Hill. Yeah, exactly. You know, where it's like, yeah. I like that. Th- I was actually surprised that they gave us two endings. I, I actually quite like that. I love the way they kind of cut to this, like, video scene where you have, like... So, whatever, I know, it's probably, you know, spoilers, obviously. We've kind of gone through a lot of it by now, but... There's, like, a bit where, like, the characters kind of reach an impasse with one another. They have, like, guns pointing at each other. Hannah wants to, like, save. She thinks Wei Ming can be saved. And Glass is like, no, we got to kill her. You know? They they are both very angry at one another. And if you're playing the game on normal, depending on who you pick, you kill the they other straight person. up kill the other character. Yeah. You pick Hannah, Hannah's going to shoot Glass. If you pick Glass, Glass kills Hannah. And that in itself, you're like, oh, shit. What the fuck? <laughs> Like, like, and I think it's weird, right? There's like a part of like human nature where you're in like really odd and stressful situations. Like there's clearly a part where like these guys, they're obviously friends in a way, but they're not like, you know, they're mercenaries at the end of the day. 
Yeah. Like they will as they far will as do we shit. know. Like we don't really know their yeah. past relationship of how far of a friendship, how long they've been together, how long like all we know is that like she's a mercenary, he's a mercenary, and they got a job together. Like Yeah. So it doesn't they're, they're in it to make money, you know? Right. Yeah, and that that kind of like shows itself at the end where like you pick a character. Because I'm I'm used to like games being like you pick a character and like they they're like, oh, shit, yeah, we'll go with what you want to do. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought if you picked Hannah, Glass is going to put his gun down and be like, yeah, okay, let's do what you want to do, Hannah. But no, straight up, they both just kill each other, which is really cool. I like when they kind of take a swerve like that. Now, this isn't the real ending, you know, but I like that there's just kind of... T- yeah. yeah. In, like, they have their own endings for each character. Like, good stuff happens in each of these, you know? But, like, the real ending is... I guess the canon ending is Hannah... Glass agrees with Hannah. He decides not to shoot her and just kind of goes with the flow with Hannah. And I guess they save Wee Ming. And Wee Ming, as a thank you to them, somehow uses the power to bring back Deke and restore the arm of uh, of Glass. So everything is okay. Like, the end of this game is quite literally them being like, whoa, what happened? Yeah, let's not worry about it. Like Pretty you- much, like... I. It's so funny. You know that one scene, uh, what 80s movie where they start playing like, don't you forget about me? Like, that's how it feels like oh. what should happen at the end. Because they just are just standing in like a destroyed like rubble. Club? Yeah, it's just a destroyed yeah. rubble. And they're just like, oh, shit, got my arm back. Zeke's alive. Like, All right, buddies, like, let's like, go. And they just walk away. Like, like, Deke coming back. Like, I was so surprised to see Deke was back, right? Because I, I was like, this guy is very dead. Like, not only does he get, like, killed, he gets double killed. Because and he's in hell. And you kill and his he's ghost. Like, ha- yeah, and you kill his He literally melts yeah, as a ghost again. Like, he, he gets killed, like, multiple times in this game. And the way he comes back is one of the funniest things I've seen in a game in a long time. Just There's, goes- like, this giant pile of rubble. And he's sitting right, I, if I remember this correctly, he's straight up just sitting on a toilet. And he's there and he's like, whoa, what happened, guys? I don't remember what happened over the past while. And they're like, oh, Deke, you know, don't worry about it. It's like, did we get paid? And they're like, no, <laughs> but don't worry about it. It all, it, it all worked out in the end. And they just walk away. And I'm like, like an episodic, like, like, just like, oh, we'll be back for the next episode. Like, 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 like. like like this, like the part, the point that kind of got me is because I was like, I want to see more of these characters and I want to see where they go. And from the the normal endings, it clearly shows that like the game, there's no coming back for these guys. But in the true end, they're like, somehow it all worked out. And we can have more of these guys. Don't worry about it. Um, It was really weird. There was like a lot of like the story as a whole, it, it kind of felt like for me, I, I wanted to be more fleshed out. I wanted to know more about these guys. I I wanted to know like, more about why things were happening shit happens real quick in this game and the stuff resolves at the end it resolves real quick too like there's like one cut scene that's supposed to like flesh out all the rest of the plot points with like the final boss and you're like that that doesn't really flesh out anything i i, I have more questions now like please help me out uh, is this like is this Jin? so like the guy with the bomb where you know when he comes in he's like oh Jin, didn't you die and he's like no I'm, the I'm king in fact of hell. the entire time. The entire time, I'm the king of hell. I'm, the I'm like the king of like is. Chinese hell. Yeah, I'm I'm the lord of yeah. What's it? Lim Lao Wang? I think is the name. Yeah, because they they mentioned this thing. They're like this guy. He's like we speak about him in you know in Chinese mythology. He's like the lord of hell or whichever. He's very dangerous. You don't speak his name. That kind of thing. 
And then it turns out your confidant the whole time from the very beginning of the game is in fact like the Chinese devil, more or less. It's kind of funny it's because like a, I didn't believe it when it even happened in the cutscene, and he just pops out the chair and she's like, what are you, what are you doing here? And it didn't hit me until he was like, I'm the king of hell. And I was like, wait, it what? was such like, like, I would have never guessed this. Like, as far as a twist goes, like, you know, because you can usually predict the twist in a lot of cases, but this is like, they would give you no information that this is going to happen. It's the perfect twist. Like, they're like, shit, we don't even know what we're doing. Just make this guy the king of hell. Why not? And when it happened, I was like, yeah, okay. yeah okay. it was it was stuff like that where I kind of just like, all right, yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not following here. What's going um, on? <laughs> especially like. I mean, you guys are right to point out like sort of the. Uh, the how striking some of the scenes were where like, you know, the the ultra violence, you know, where his arm gets cut off or, um, you know, Deke falls from the ceiling and lands onto. Uh, you know impales himself yeah um, yeah and then just like i feel like the brothel scene was really like the height of the story it just in terms of like wait what i thought this was gonna be it it's sort of a mismatch of tones i mean you have like the cyberpunk intro you know yeah. which doesn't yeah. have any real like um wait foreshadowing of like any supernatural yeah, there's like it's, it's 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 almost like it's almost like a different game. When I when I finished that, I was like, "Wow, I can't wait to see where we're going to go next from it." I would never have guessed. Where, I kind of wanted to go. see more of that environment, and then like they move into the a tropical setting that's like filled with uh, you know zombies, and it's just like okay. This like like I would say like in terms of the areas, because the game can be broken up into four distinct areas. Each disc is kind of its own chapter in the game, and each chapter is like a different place. So you have the first part is is the cyberpunk Neo Hong Kong, where you're fighting like you know gang members and like mercenaries and stuff, and it's it's like it's like a cool kind of cyberpunk, stealthy kind of you feel like an agent almost kind of sneaking around. Yeah, it's really cool. Don't secret agent shit. And then, and I think that's like for me uh, visually and aesthetically, I think that's the highlight of the game. And I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of going with like clearly they. I I would say if you want to impress people, you put that at the beginning. Right, because that is for me probably the most impressive part of the game, at least in terms of uh, the environments and what you were doing. And then I would say the weakest part is the next part in the jungle with the zombies, because that whole bit is just kind of running around kind of the jungle and shooting zombies for a lot of it. Not that it was bad, but it was just such a stark change in kind of tone and where you're going and what you're killing <laughs> for a lot of it. Yeah. It's a bit different. I feel like if there was a zombie in the first disc, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's no foreshadowing to set that up. So yeah, once yeah. you put in that second disc and you're like in the jungle and there's zombies, I'm like, wait, was there any setup for this? Because they only talk about Wei Ming during the first disc, but you don't. You only kind of see Wei Ming from the second disc. And that's kind of when they start adding the whole kind of supernatural element with this character and how she may affect things, you know? Um, but I think, you know, I think the brothel and the following disc, Hell, which is like probably the most stark shift of all, like to everything. I feel like those were a lot stronger, like brothel. I think the brothel in some ways was maybe my favorite use of gameplay. It, it's, it felt most like Resident Evil to me. It felt like it was the most kind of well taught out and designed area. Yes. In a lot of way. puzzles, but the puzzles actually like linked up together oh, nicely. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've Yeah, it's uh. Go 
I was about to say, like, after a certain point, you know the whole layout. Because that's the best thing about Resident Evil is after a certain point, you kind of just know, like, oh, okay, I can go ahead and and walk all the way back and know exactly where to go. That's how the brothel is. Yeah, the brothel is really uh, sort of the pinnacle, for sure, of the four areas, um, both in terms of story, because it hits its climax here, and then, or at least one of the climaxes, and then... um, yeah, just in terms of what Sonny's talking about, you get pretty familiar with the areas. And it's also some of the best shots, too. Like some of the best, I mean, like the TV scene you're talking about. Um, there's the part where you're in the elevator, which I just thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I, I thought I also thought that looked really cool. There's like um, some puzzles, like there's a the bit with the chefs, which I thought was a bit of an awkward puzzle, but I still kind of liked, like for me, I was like, how can you not see this? The chefs not see you. Remember like, oh, right, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's just like chefs like throwing stuff. I love, I love the idea and the concept of it. And I thought it was really funny. It was like, in a way, I was like, how can you not see this person sneaking behind you? But I, I loved it in a way too. I thought it was really fun. Like the way the game does some of these puzzles, because a lot of the puzzles in this game, I'm not even going to say they're puzzles, are just kind of like timing when to run and when to walk on things. You know, like there's like sections like I don't know if you remember where there was like pipes that are overheated. Yeah. Where you have to like, but yeah, or like when fires start at random points in the video, like that's a lot of the puzzles that are in this game. But there's a lot of cool stuff like that in the brothel, and like even one kind of cool thing. You know, when you're playing as Deke on the ceiling and the lights go over the. That was that, they were like that was the second hardest the puzzle for me. I had to like sit there and like literally draw a grid and be like, okay. Okay, this one, and then oh, I go man. this way. It took me back to the old yeah. days. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, because you have to watch it, like, multiple times. The light goes over, and you don't see anything. And then it goes over again. You're like, oh, some of them are cracked. But then the light shows different cracks, and then the next light shows different cracks. You have to, like, pay attention to, like, four different cycles of this to see the full puzzle. Oh, yeah. It's I didn't sad. catch yeah. that. I used after... Because... So, it's interesting, too, because it's, like, some of these levels, it's, like, you're going to have to die to figure it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you never, and that's like when you're designing a game and you're like, okay, let's just have these people trial and error this puzzle until the point of frustration. <laughs> there, because there, there's a lot of that. And I don't know there, if there, that's the best way to do a, a puzzle where it's like, well, you have to die essentially. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, yeah. yeah. I don't inherently think that it's like bad. You know, I think if, I think the major issue with this is just how long it takes you to get back to trying it again. Yes. Like, this is, in a way, right, this is the kind of game where I would recommend. I actually think it would be better for a modern player to play this game on an emulator that uses save states. Because the problem is, like, I don't, you know, I don't mind when, like, you know, because adventure games in particular are notorious for giving you these really obtuse puzzles or, like, things where you have to keep doing trial and error to kind of die. Because in a way, like, I kind of liken this game to cinematic platformers, you know, like Abe's Odyssey or, like, Heart of Darkness, where, like, you go onto a screen and the screen is going to kill you many times until you figure out what the specific thing you need to do is or the timing for it, you know? But the issue with a game like this, right? And this this game isn't even the worst offender. There's some games I've played that are way worse than this. If you die, you get a game over screen, you get a, you get a continue, and then you got to wait for a load screen to come back in. The load screen's like maybe like 10, 20 seconds. And then you come back into the game and you can't just save anywhere. The game gives you set points to save, right? You like can basically walk on a point and then you can use a phone to save. And some of these are quite handy. Like some of these are near the puzzle that you might need to go to or where you're gonna die. But some of these are like pretty like you like there was a part I 
I think it was on the train. So remember the train puzzle we were talking about? We can maybe get to how annoying that puzzle was, right? <laughs> the one we have to enter in the numbers. Yes, yeah. Uh, I did that train puzzle, right? And it took me a long time to figure it out. Uh, I eventually had to resort to a guide as well because I thought I had it and I thought I was just doing it wrong. And then I looked at the solution and I went, that makes no sense. Why, why, would, why would anybody do that? We'll get to it in a moment. But when I did that puzzle and then I got up, right? I like, there was a whole new section where I just died immediately. And I was like, fuck. And then when I reloaded again, I was like, oh shit, I have to do the train puzzle again. <laughs> and it's not like the train puzzle was hard or anything, but it takes a long time to input. There's a lot of, lot of stuff you need to do with it. And there's many points in the game like that where you can make, a, like, because they, they give you very little time. You know, there are some bits, like, for example, there's parts where you have to walk on rafters or, like, you can walk, like, off a, a platform and you just die. Yeah. It's not even like you hit something. Like, you, your character slips and falls. It really threw you know? me off that specific one on, what was that, disc two? Because from this point forward, like, you like point before Anytime you walk towards an edge, it was an invisible wall and you just, okay, whatever. I think I'm safe. But then this one yeah. time I'm walking thinking, okay, I think I'm safe and you die. Is this when you're like, you're like in the house at the top with like the guys? Train yard, right? Yeah. And the train yard yeah, and yeah. the demons is popping out. I like fell and I didn't save until before the train yeah, boss. You... And I was like, uh, I got to do all this shit oh, again. No. <laughs> yeah. Like you get, and the thing with the save points as well, right? Is that. This is another thing that's a little bit maybe inconsistent with this game, right? You can walk over a point and it tells you to save, but it's like a really minuscule point where you're able to save, right? Like you could straight up walk past the save point because you didn't walk in that right part of it. And like there's parts where I go, oh, there's a save point here. And then I have to like very carefully reposition myself to like activate the save. Go to your inventory, so, pull out the cell phone, press Yeah, use. The trigger area for the save is like, very, very small of like your character size so you can very easily miss Th this, it if this, you're not moving yeah, yeah that's kind of an issue with the whole game a lot of the trigger points for things are very very small you know like your ability to kind of interact with stuff like i think about you know the bonfires like there's a point in disc four yeah where they didn't work for me how at you all. got yeah how you got ammo completely changes in normally tread the game when you kill an enemy they normally drop ammo right so you just pick up ammo, it's automatically in your inventory. But for whatever reason, I guess it's like thematically correct, right? The enemies that you kill in hell, they don't drop ammo, they drop paper ammo. And to get your and to turn that into actual ammo, you need to burn the paper. So you need to find a bonfire, troll the paper ammo in the bonfire, and then you get ammo. But like you could be like near the bonfire and you're like walking into it, turning around and like trying to like just awkwardly get your character into the point where you're like, okay, this is the point where I can do it. And there's some points later on, especially like the bosses and stuff where like you're in like the middle of a fight where you're trying to like, oh, shit, I need ammo. I got to go to the bonfire. There's people like trying to kill you. <laughs> Demons are trying to hack you up. And you're like, Rude. how do I get to the point where I control the thing? And then you're like, that's the jankiness that comes in. Trying it. to roll like, into the bonfire and waiting for them to jump to away roll. and then like quickly. Oh, man. <laughs> Please give me the point. We have... We we haven't even talked about the rolling yet, but uh, yeah, well, that's, yeah. There's like, that's like it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I like I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I like I suppose going back to the original point. I I don't mind the whole having to restart and fail these things. You know, I I like that in in a way. There's a part of me that likes the fact that the game is like willing to kill you very easily for making small mistakes and you know trial and error. But I, it's the kind of game where I wish it put you back on the same screen like if you died it's like all right you're straight back there's no loading there's no nothing and the funny thing is like there's games 
I played a game on my channel not too long ago called uh, Tunguska, right? Which is a very bad game, but similar <laughs> to that as well. It's also like static backgrounds, awkward movements, weird puzzles, right? And you can and you'll die a lot in that game. It's a lot of trial and error. But like, if you die, right, as bad as that game is, if you die, you hit a button and you're straight back to the same room. So and I so think bad. the fact that it's it's an FMV game, there's so much loading required. It's just not something that's possible with this type of game. That might have been and, a case as well because I got to re like a VHS. They got to rewind back to the point, set back up everything, yeah. and keep it going. Like, if you play this game, like, save states or something, like, if you save right before this thing, it just kind of cuts out. Because I think the most tedious thing about this game is just if you make a mistake, there's a huge time, like, not a huge time investment, but there is a time investment to get back to it. And there's a good chance you might fail multiple times, like, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in some of these things. And I, So I don't, so this is interesting because it's like, you know, it's maybe not inherently bad to design a game this way but i think you don't want to there's a fine line between frustrating your player and then challenging them and i feel like you know for the the glass ceiling one where it's like how the fuck are you supposed to or actually a better one with which i i struggled with um was the deke ghost fight or the demon deke fight demon deke, deke, yeah you had a met like you kind of that game or that boss fight wanted you to memorize his pattern. But like the first initial run through, there was just no way you could know which way he was going to be. So it required you to die. You know, like, I mean, I don't know if you guys died often in that one, but it's like the I one where on that one, but I did die on the bed boss, the bed boss. I did have to memorize when the bullets was going to be in which section so that I, could, there, I would roll back and forth between the top section and the bottom section to like get that part. It's, it's quite similar because you have like, you have limited space in each fight. The bed boss, right? One thing is that the bed boss kind of gives you like a, there's like a warning before they fire into like it. The, the way you look at it is it's kind of like a C, right? There's like different quadrants and he's going to fire over here. He's going to fire over there. And it gives you like a, a warning where they're going to fire, but it's so like, it's so sudden that you need really quick reflexes. And even though the game gives you access to a roll move, you which allows you to move very quickly, it's using that roll move quickly and getting to where you want to go doesn't always work as amazingly. <laughs> like it's a tank, it's tank controls, you know, it's, it's, it's not perfect. I so rarely was very able difficult. to roll in the way I wanted to roll. <laughs> The rolling also. I'm like, where am I going <laughs> when I'm like, like the rolling also changes depending on what screen you enter in. Forward and back may vary depending on yeah. So it's it's a bit different. I think the the deke fight is a bit more difficult because at least in the bed fight you can like touch the walls and stuff. In the deke fight, like there there's points where I thought I was walking onto a safe panel and I was like, actually no, that was that you're dying. <laughs> you know, according to the game, according to the FMV, that's a, that's a danger zone right there. And I mean, deke's pattern for that is like. You think it's consistent. He's he's going to go straight. He's going to go vertically. And then he's like doing like diagonals and stuff. And you're like, oh, no. And then he it's, adds it's, to it. It's like you have to like you have to die unless you like have really quick reflexes. reflex abilities. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. Like, but yeah, like honestly, the the part that I struggled the most with, which I thought was quite funny, was, you know, the bit before the deep boss fight where you're you. The, so the goal right, is you're meant to go look at all these dragon statues. And I knew for a bit, I was like, oh, there's dragon statues. These are obviously going to play into a puzzle. 
And but I didn't know how, right? They're like, oh, I'm the fire dragon, I'm the earth dragon, I'm the wind dragon. And then you go down to this place and you look in a mirror and they give you like this order where you see like a mountain, the heavens, fire, and you're like, okay, great, there's an order to these dragons. But then the puzzle was something like it was like a puzzle on top of a puzzle on top of a puzzle that required you to navigate through a series of things that instantly kill you. Yeah. The dragons all had these symbols at the bottom of them, which I didn't even pay attention to. Yeah. Right. And what you were meant to do was pay attention to the symbols at the bottom of these. Right. And then use the order of these symbols, which are placed on a floor in front of you to navigate a path across there. And I just did not look at these at all. I wrote down fire, earth, heavens, <laughs> etc. And when I got there, I was like, this is useless. Uh. <laughs> I, complete, I completely messed this up. You know, so I had to trial and error that bit as well. I wouldn't even mind, like, they, they give you an ammo pickup that is specifically designed to kill you. Yeah. You see some ammo lying on a thing. It's a trap. And you're like, oh, sweet, ammo kills you. <laughs> you know, like, that is a, that is a, that is a jerk move game. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, devs they're, they're, were like, I like, you know, let's kill them as many <laughs> times as we can. Like, we want them to see that uh, game over screen. We work really hard on each this, 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 yeah, yeah. game over screen. This is why it reminds you a lot of cinematic platformers because those games, I don't know how many of these you've played. It really reminded me of a game called Heart of Darkness. I don't know if you know of this game or are aware of this game. It is a game that I played when I was a kid and it is a game that is designed to kill you as much as possible all the time. All the goddamn time. It's not as bad as Heart of Darkness, but it's the same thing. Like You can go onto a screen and the screen has about five different ways to kill you and it will do it. And it will put you back very far by doing it. And that's and a very, I kind of like, like that like genre staple where it's like, eh. Because I mean, the point of Clink is, like you were saying, it just pops you right back to where you were. And then you just try again with, and next, this one's going to make me turn into dust or something silly. And then I, usually I do get frustrated binging games. This yeah, is like a, this, this is a staple to me. But for some reason, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what the fuck? <laughs> but for some reason, like this game, it was always like a, it was challenging, but like very interesting. Like the puzzles, I was kind of like after a while, I was like, all right, bro, I'm not about to do this thing. Like, <laughs> That's why the guide fact, long I, play, please. And just, yeah, <laughs> the guide really helped me enjoy the game more for sure, because I saw that like. I don't know, like playing it. I'm like, okay, I would like this game, yes, but I keep dying and it's frustrating, and yeah, yeah. and just like knowing that I like, do you ever read, Sandy? I don't know if you like saw some of the puzzles in the long play, and we're just like, I would have never figured that out, yeah, because like Half that's how them. I feel. Like the I'm um like, the yeah. clock. It was fucked up. Is that watching the long play to try to figure out the clock puzzle in the hell level with like aging up Hannah? I like I. I I fucked up the whole thing. Like the, I followed the first two on the guy and I was like, okay. And then the third one didn't work. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? And I had to just figure yeah. out the rest of the puzzle myself because it didn't work. And I was just like, oh my that, God. That was like, that was like straight up maybe my favorite puzzle in the game. Because I, I really like, I like, there are some games that have puzzles, like adventure games are notorious for having shit that's straight up like just so obtuse. Nobody like how you know when you at you see it and you're like how could you figure this out yeah like this game had some of that stuff i think like let me see the bomb one that was just me missing something right i had to like work my way through that but that was when i thought you know shit maybe the game just wants you to do this the train puzzle i was like oh there's numbers right beside it they have like an order of numbers but you have to put the numbers in backwards for some reason and there's no indication that you're ever meant to do that i thought that was a bit strange but like almost every other puzzle in the game, I figured I managed to figure out at some point. And I think figuring out the Hannah puzzle, the age one, that was in many ways. I was, I was like, this is a really 
it was a difficult puzzle. It was a weird one to figure it out. But like figuring that shit out, I was like, this is a clever puzzle. This is like a cool puzzle. Like it's so strange and weird where like you're looking at a character growing up and aging and then the whatever the character says corresponds to something on the wall and then whatever that aged character says corresponds to something on the clock. It was uh, it was crazy. It was weird. I, I could see it being very difficult to just figure that out because it's very jarring seeing it all happen in motion, you know, but like it's it was a, it was a cool puzzle. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things, too, where when you might be designing a puzzle in a game, it's like, well, how smart are, <laughs> how smart is the audience exactly? You know, <laughs> you kind of I, I did like that they weren't like insulting my intelligence, but rather yeah, they yeah. were like, oh, yeah, this is above my abstraction of thinking, especially the the Hannah Hell puzzle that you're describing that you liked. That was it would have. Like, that's not fun to me. I would have not had the patience to go through that. Um, the dragon one, I think I could have figured out. Uh, but again, that's another one that probably would have took time because it's like, oh, wait, I need to go back to write these down in the order. Uh, yeah, the yeah. train puzzle? Fuck no. I was three no. hours, two, two and a half hours. I was like, okay, so this letter, I wrote it down. I'm like, I don't. And then when I saw the puzzle, the answer still didn't make sense. It's It was like they... They had these numbers wrote right beside it. Like you could see, right? There was like 12 digits, I believe, right? And if you look at the thing that's beside it, you see a 12 digit number. It was like, you know, it's nine nine numbers and then I had like five letters. Right, yeah. And you see that and you're like, okay, that's clearly what it is. It has something to do with this. And your natural instinct, right? And the issue is that the the numbers are in like a straight line. Like it's just a single line of numbers. But then in the puzzle, you have to put in like it's in rows of four. So you're like, do I have to put it down vertically? Do they go horizontally? What's the kind of order that I have to put it in? But the fact is that the puzzle, the answer is just the number backwards, which I don't know why it would ever, like there's nothing to indicate that you should put the number in backwards. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. It's just like, it's the kind of thing where like the only way you could get this is through trial and error. And I have, tr and, I, and I tried so many different variations of like putting the number forward. It was just very time wasting. It, it, did, it didn't seem like something where I'd be like, oh, okay. It was just like, why? Why'd you do that? <laughs> why are you? Why would you do that? Why to are you me? wasting my time? Why would you do this to me? So, Sanda usually like will beat games before me, you know? So I always kind of oh, have yeah. that in the, in the back of my head. Like, I'm taking so long on this. And, like, <laughs> Sandy's I'm not going to be able to the beat game. it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like yeah. sweating bullets. I'm like, oh, man. And then <laughs> it's funny. We were very <laughs> on pace, like me and you. Like we were, yeah. we were actually like neck and we neck. Were. And then out of nowhere, Sean's like, yeah, I beat the game. And I was like, oh, shit, I should play. I have to catch up with you. But also, because I'm sure because, you know, you play, Sean, you play these types of games more often. You maybe have yeah. Yeah. I'm like, more like, of a like, gauge of like how far, like. Yeah, I do. I do feel like I'm kind of in like this zone or era. Like I play so many games from this era. I kind of have more of like a, a mind for what they're going to behave like. In a way, you know, like there's a part of me that thought Fear Effect was actually going to play worse than it played. I was expecting it to be more difficult to play and more obtuse. You know, in, in many ways, I think it actually plays better than I expected it to. But it was the same way. Like when I when I did like my videos are quite long and I usually like to beat the games that I play. Like I don't really like talking about a game if I can't beat it because I feel like I don't really have, you know, there's I feel like if you want to talk about a game, you you don't have to like complete it on every difficulty, but you should at least see it from start to finish if you can. Because there's parts at like the end of a game that might change my thoughts on the entire experience in some cases. So when I went into this one, I like I sat down and was like, okay, 
I get the feeling that this game might take about three, four hours. Like most PlayStation games take on average anywhere from about an hour to four hours to beat, which is pretty good. Um, but that was it. I was like, I'm just going to beat a disc a day when I did that. And it like, it, it meant, it, it was, it went pretty, pretty smoothly for the most part. A lot of the places where I got stuck or wasted time is just, just dying and just reloading <laughs> and coming back, you know? Having to redo but all like, your stuff. Yeah, like it was. I, at first, I thought it was gonna be worse because I I like died against the first couple of enemies, and I was like, oh, is the combat in this game really bad, or am I just really bad? And it turned out I was really bad. <laughs> you get used to. I was surprised. Weird. I liked the combat a lot by the end of it. I I got pretty good at it. I was gonna say the same thing. Like the combat's like really weird because it locks on, but then it also doesn't lock on. But then you gotta learn how to dual wield so you can kill multiple enemies. Like it's just tinkering around when it works it's really cool and i actually thought it was really satisfying because i i'm not like i i quite a part of me really likes tank control combat like i like resident evil combat like i'll play resi one or i'll play like silent hill and a lot of people say like oh that's bad controls but i think it's like it's just a different way of doing controls yeah i think when it works it works quite well and uh, the key the key to this game is that you always got to keep an eye out for the little symbol that appears in the the top right the little lock-on symbol once you see that, you're good to go. There's point. There's parts where like I would aim my gun, and depending on where you're standing and what you're looking at, it just won't lock onto something because the game is like you're not meant to lock onto it from this angle. It's it's about understanding that. Yeah. And once I kind of understood that, and the fact that if you shoot well, most enemies, they get stun locked. You can kind of just have a good time with it. Damn, Zonda, you played with unlimited ammo, you fucking cheat. For the, you know for the final disc, many... for the final disc, only because That's... I had to go, because the bonfire didn't work for me. Like, I only worked for, like, the, the paper gate key, and, yeah. like, the gate key and stuff, like, the actual, like, quest items. Just, so, just... But, like, doing, like, ammo or, like, making, like, the paper machine gun with, like, like it just did not work at all for me. I Like, with glass, so there was, it would be like, Mm-mm. There's multiple points with, uh, so, I mean, like I was mentioning, any fire or torch that had like a green mist around it, you could exchange your ammo. It wasn't just a bonfire, fucker. No, yeah, I'm hip. Yeah, I'm hip. And like, it oh. just, it just wouldn't. Yeah, like fire wow. just would not work for me at all. And I was like, all right, bro, fuck it. And like, like it got to because I always had like an extra save. Like my my like fourth save file was always like the beginning of the disc, just in case. That's and smart. I didn't do that. Yeah, and then yeah. I would flip flop between save one and two. So just in case I had to backtrack or if I ran out of ammo or some silly shit like that, I would be like, okay, I'll just load up this two because I don't have enough health and save one or something. Because like this this is a game where you can kind of like you can always get out of a situation, but you you can really screw yourself over. I I feel like I screwed myself over. Like I was having a pretty okay time like through this one and this two, but I I. I know I've mentioned this to you guys, and I know you kind of got to the same point. There was a point towards the end of this tree, specifically playing as Hannah, where either I seemingly used too much ammo, like I wasn't conservative enough on my ammo, or I, like, you can do, like, it's a pretty linear game for the most part. Like, obviously, you can go around and explore places, but there's not a ton to explore. But there clearly is, like, bonus stuff. If you go off the beaten path or explore every room, you can find extra weapons and extra ammo. And there's clearly a part in the third disc where you can get like a machine pistol for Hannah. It's like just like an Uzi, basically. And I I missed this. And throughout most of my playtime for the rest of the game with Hannah, I was just struggling on ammo throughout the entire rest of the game. 
I like I'm like the amount of enemies, especially when the demons start to appear. Like they throw a lot of enemies at you. And they don't die. I did not have enough ammo. I did not have enough ammo to deal with these guys. This is the point where like I kinda gun from right like I think the idea is because you know what like Resident Evil, especially the the classic uh tank control ones, where it's all about like you shouldn't you shouldn't be killing every enemy. Because if you kill every enemy, you're gonna like run out of ammo for like bad enemies and you might get into a bad situation. You don't need to kill everything. And that's also kind of true for fear effect. You don't have to kill everything. And you also have the option to kill enemies with melee weapons. If you sneak up behind them, you can like stealth kill them in one hit, which is something I started doing a bit later into the game than I probably should have. But as a result, throughout later parts of the game, I was just always struggling on ammo. And it got to the point where more enemies were spawning than what I had ammo to kill them for. And I was like, oh shit, I gotta how roll. do I get out of these rooms? How do, how do I kill people? And that's when I under- began to understood, right? That rolling in this game, which I was originally using as a way to like avoid gunfire and other things, it turns out rolling 99% of the time makes you completely invincible in this game. Like, completely invincible. Just like, roll. you can go into a room full of as many enemies as you like with guns, melee weapons, whatever. You just keep rolling. They can't hit you. So throughout the later parts of this game, <laughs> yeah, you you get you got you got iframes when you roll in real life. Like if a car hits you, if you roll at the same time, you go right through the car. <laughs> you go right through the car. It's like whoa, <laughs> you know, duck and roll. It works. If a volcano erupts and the lava is coming down, just roll through it. <laughs> just if you time, yeah, if you parry, if you parry an earthquake, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can parry an earthquake, you know, that's it's perfect. But like literally, like later parts in this game, I'd say the vast majority of disc four, I spent rolling through the environments. Because they would spawn so many demons on you. And I'd be like, you know what? I just, I'm not going to fight them. There's no point fighting these guys. I don't have to. I can roll by them. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I wish I could show you the footage of me playing this game. I, I'm going to put it in the video. But like, it's just a, it's just a woman rolling through hell. All of the fourth disc is just this girl rolling through her problems. <laughs> until she eventually kills the Lord of Hell. And then by rolling. <laughs> then there's also like at the end of disc three, like when Hannah goes undercover. I didn't realize that we didn't have to kill everybody. Like, if you were Hannah, you could just walk past them and just keep it moving. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was going around like, just shooting everybody. Do you know what the worst part about that is, right? Like, I understood, like, I was undercover, right? And I thought I was being real cool. Like, I would wait for, like, characters to move apart from one another, and I'd take the knife out, and I'd kill them. And I'd be like, I'm getting ammo. I'm going to be stocked up on ammo. Like, I was like, this is the way to get ammo, you know? And, like, even doing that, nothing i killed every person there with a knife by sneaking up behind them like in my in my like skimpy uh whore of the night outfit which is effectively <laughs> what what is kind of the deal with that yeah there's also i suppose we should point out that like there's a bit in the brothel where kind of like hannah gets into like uh because you you have to kind of sneak undercover so she wears like one of the essentially the prostitutes outfits to get into like the back rooms of the brothel which you're in for like a large portion of it. And then you can kind of do like some stealth mission stuff and go around and kill people. But like, I was like, I thought really cool doing that. Cause that was the first point where I was like, this is really stealthy. You're like crouching behind people, like, and doing all this cool stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm getting loads of ammo because when you kill an enemy, they just drop ammo. Like it's, which is good. You need ammo. But even doing that, killing every single person did not get me enough ammo to like get out of this tree. And you still they yeah. spawn a lot of enemies at the end of this tree, let me tell you. They don't stop. Even with max they ammo, I was kind of like, damn. 
There's a lot of enemies. <laughs> I mean, I think we've touched a lot of the gameplay portion of this game. A lot of the mechanics, the puzzles, our experiences with it. Is there anything else that you guys can think of that was gameplay related that was funky or really good or really bad or had you thinking about it? Sandy, do you have anything? I did love. Hold on, I got to reenact it. <laughs> I love when Hannah when you try to use like an item and you can't use it, Devin pointed it out. She was like, why did, why did you, why did she say it like that? Where she's like, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It Every feels very like, No, no way. No. And then Glass is like, I, I, nope. I guess we didn't really talk about the voice acting now that we mentioned it because there's a part of this where I think, right, there's times where I'm like, wow, the voice acting in this game is really good. Because to be fair, voice acting in like games of that era were not great. You know, there's basically Metal Gear Solid and then everything else. Yeah. You know? Like that was like that like set a standard for like narrative storytelling using voice in a in a in a console game. And I think Fear Effect is like it's pretty good for its time. But like there's also some funky stuff in it too. I, I, I think it's really good, but it's also like there's some odd moments. And especially like when you try to use an, an item where you're not meant to use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, is, it, is very, it is very funny. I, I thought that was quite cool. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend also pointed it out. That's funny. <laughs> she, was like, she was laughing at it. I'm like, yeah, it's what do you expect? You know, what do you want from this? What do you want from this? Could you do better? <laughs> I thought I thought Deke was fantastic throughout the game, though. I'm a sucker for an Australian accent. That guy is like straight yeah, up like great. nonchalant Australian. Everything would happen, he would just be like, "Oh, I, I, I can't do it. like I don't want to do it. like like this is the thing. If I do an accent, it's a it's a hundred percent going to be like an over the top stereotype of it, <laughs> and it will not be pleasant for people from that country to hear. But I will say that I love Deke's Australian. Like I hear people do Irish accent, I'm like, that's straight up a leprechaun, man. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> like every time it's like do an irish accent and it's either like oh a funky sounding jamaican accent or a leprechaun there's no two ways about it it's always the way it works now that you say that it is kind of hilarious how close a jamaican and irish accent is it's there there's a very fine line between the two of them there is a very fine line it is yeah if you ever i don't know if you ever seen the movie i love you man there's a bit where like paul rudd tries to do like uh like an Irish accent or a Jamaican, like, and it's just straight up like an Irish accent instead of a Jamaican accent. It's it's very funny, but it it, it does it does happen quite often. It is. Quite I just think about that. Uh, yeah, gameplay wise, I feel like now um, I was pretty satisfied, and I really don't feel like. I mean, we touched on a lot of it. I don't think I have anything else to add um, on that front. Yeah, like we covered puzzles. Bosses. Uh, we could. Did we talk too much about the bosses in particular? Because there's some like we talked about the bad guy. We talked about like the final boss. Like I think the bosses are like a pretty cool aspect. Like they don't last very long, but I think they're like pretty memorable parts of the game. Like some are like really cool. Some are very difficult. Very frustrating. Some of them aren't. Some of them are full motion videos and not 3D objects like the rest of the enemies. Yeah, like you have to like shoot a part of the screen where like the video pops out. Like it's literally like you need to shoot at this moment in time. Like like you know like the guy in the train. Yeah, we should probably we'll, we'll probably yeah we'll probably talk about it like properly. <laughs> I love so that bosses. train, dude. That's, I'm I love, trying to I think of all the bosses. Dude. Oh, the first one, first one that kind of got me off a loop for a minute. Like the yeah, first, the first very was- first boss with the camera angle, it just threw me all off, and I was like, but that's still I was still learning the game. 
Same. Um, yeah, I was still kind of getting grips with the controls and motion and they get you used to that like when you know when you're i think when you start playing as glass and they have uh like you're getting chased by like i'm gonna i'm not sure if it's a helicopter or a gunship is the correct term but that's where like you have to like actually get up and avoid the gunfire like you know when you you climb up and the gunship appears and shoots at you immediately and like what you're meant to do is like stop climbing I don't know why for ages that took me like I was like <laughs> I need to get up and roll. I died so many times on that for whatever reason. Yeah, but I love I love even the fight against that gunship because it's such a because that's when you start to realize how the full motion video works in the context of boss fights where like this thing it moves in the background and it shoots in different segments of the screen below you. Like a lot of the boss fights are kind of based off of you being in particular quadrants, I guess. Like fire is going to appear in this part of the ground. Or this part of the ground, or this part of the ground. Don't you be in that be part. Not standing there. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, you need to shoot like it's like a flag or something. Yeah, like just something float. Like you shoot a flag, and then the flag flies into the engine, and you just need to do it at a particular time. And I didn't realize you know, that no. you can walk to the other side of the screen Same. to do the other part. And I was sitting that. there like, "What the fuck? But I already shot the thing. Like, what am I supposed to do?" And then it hit yeah, me like, yeah. "Oh." yeah yeah and like when you walk to each side like it's basically the video resetting like you can make like the video reset by walking and that's another part where i began to understand how the 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 fmv works with it yeah (laughs) like when you walk to a different like this video starts playing or this starts playing but uh yeah i accidentally rolled back into the other part and i was like oh okay yeah because that's the only boss fight where you have that much ability uh that many different angles yeah, most most boss fights in this game are you kind of contained in a room and you kind of have like a place where you can hide. Not every boss fight you can hide, but like the one in the train, for example, that's just the guy popping out behind some boxes. He yeah, took me from like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I grabbed the assault rifle and I just held X until he died. Yeah, that's what I did at the beginning of that fight. I like pumped a lot of stuff into him until he got to about half health and then it was just slowly inching out behind the box to shoot him. But you could also, sh- but what was also weird is that you can like shoot at a bad angle. Like there's funny things that happen in fights where like if you shoot at the wrong angle, you just like shoot a thing that ends the fight immediately. You're like, oh, you accidentally shot an explosive box. I'm like, how? <laughs> how did that work? <laughs> I'm like, what happened there that I did it differently? It's like, okay. okay. Yeah, Sandy didn't uh, hit the explosive. I never I, hit that explosive box. Oh, man. I, it's weird. You like, you have to like shoot at a wrong time. There's like a point where like the guy's not there. And if you shoot when he's not there, you just hit the explosive box. Yeah. Or if you're which ducking, is, which is weird. or like if he's behind, like yeah, if he's behind it, and you shoot, it'll trigger. That yeah. boss yeah. fight was. Bullshit. That's funny because that train boss, it only took me like four tries. Like the first like three trials was me like going like ah oh, fuck like he's yeah. destroying yeah. my health, and then the fourth time I was like all right, let me just cheese it. I'm just gonna hold the button and I just beat it. You you can mostly cheese that guy. If you have like the ammo and whatnot, yeah. I, I think what I tried to do is I tried to do it properly, and by trying to do it properly, like you, you just gotta pop out very briefly and shoot him for a couple of seconds. But I, I would always mistime it. There's like sometimes where like I play a game and I'm just really bad at it. Like I could go from being pretty competent at playing a game that boss fight, I was, I was just really bad. <laughs> I, I messed up many times of my own fruition, but like, it's the same thing. Yeah, you have to be patient with that boss fight too. I realized that you can't just like I was getting really antsy and I wanted to fucking take him out with the assault but if i shot for yeah. too long then i would die it might work like it worked here with sandy but like there are times where like you can cheese something one time and you can try the exact same thing and it might fail work, 10 yeah. times in a row it's just it just if it works it works i'm trying to but, think of yeah. like the rest of the bosses that's the sad part about this game but i 
they're kind of forgettable. <laughs> even the final boss, even though I just beat the game I like, like two the days brothel. ago. I... I like the brothel one. Just I like the scenario of just like being in the brothel house and then you go into that room and the guy's under the well, the guy under the bed is kind of silly considering who else you fight, but like that's the worst boss. Hate him. Just, just horrible. The... <laughs> It's just about as bad thought, as Raditz I, I, and Budokai One having to like. No, no, I'm, saying, I'm saying that the like the setup is cool. Yeah, know? because you have like the girl in the like, you and you know, can't and shoot she, at she's any free, given she, time. She, she, she's freaking out the whole time, and he, yeah, you can't kill her. Like you basically you just got to wait for this guy. Like it's almost like a comedy thing. Like the guy sticks his head out, and he's like, Whoa? <laughs> and then you got to shoot. You know, like that. It's a really funny idea. Like, I love the idea that it's like hardest boss in the game is man under bed. <laughs> like, that's 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 really funny to me. Yeah, because beating the final boss, I was like, that's it? Huh. And then there's like, Madam Chen was like really easy. Like, the hardest part of Madam Chen is I forgot about Wee Ming in the back and she got killed. I don't know if that happened. Yeah, so the, if, you, if you ignore it, so... Madam Shen, right? She's like basically behind fire. She doesn't do anything, right? The goal for this boss is that you're meant to kill a demon and the demons drop paper. Yeah, you kill the minions, minions drop paper, put the paper in the fire and that lets you shoot Madam Chen, right? Pretty straightforward. But if you ignore the demons, like the demons run back and they can just instantly kill Wee Ming, which ends the fight. And that's like another thing that can happen. You get a cutscene of Wee Ming just getting like ganked and jumped on by a bunch of demons. It's like, oh, whoops. So... So that was like the that was probably the easiest boss, other than the fact that I just neglected that that is a thing that could happen. Probably probably my favorite bosses in the game. I I really like the final bosses, the ones that you fight. Maybe not Glass's final boss. I don't know. Like, did you guys do both of the endings? Did you finish the game as Hannah and Glass, or did uh, you only pick one? I just finished the game as Hannah, and then I watched the rest of the endings. Cool. I I like I liked Hannah's last boss a lot. I thought it was like the most like cinematic, like in terms of like utilizing the FMV to make something like really cool. Like at the end of the day, it was still just another boss fight where like stuff happens on the floor and you're not meant to be standing there when it happens. But See, that's I the, the weird kind of like he- that's what I was gonna say yeah, yeah. was that like Hannah's final boss that did not affect me at all. Like the floor, like it got oh, so it did, oh, it did, it did damage you. Yeah, like I I don't know if like the FMV was just fucked up, but like when I was. I literally tried. I was like, I'm going to just step on it and see if it kills me. And it just didn't kill me. I was like, this is this is weird. Man, between that and the bonfire, you must let, like, this is the thing. Like, stuff can go wrong with PS1 games on the disc where stuff just does not work as it as it's intended to. Yeah, that might have been the case with mine. A, a, a legit possibility. Like, that whole fight was just, like, guys spawn. Big enemy does, like, weird stuff to the floor. And then what I thought was quite funny is that you have to just pick up money for whatever reason, you pick up money you and you burn money. money in the bonfire. Yeah, you burn money and he's like, oh, <laughs> like, I don't know if it's like a metaphor or something. It's like burn money and he gets real weak and you're able to shoot him. But like, like that was the point where it was the same gimmick as all the other boss fights. But I think it had the most interesting things going on from like a visual and mechanical standpoint. Like it was like it felt like a boss fight. It felt like a final boss. And it wasn't too difficult, but it was it was cool. It was memorable. I like that. Well, yeah, glasses. glasses yeah, it was pretty it's pretty easy. Well, Glass's final boss is just you got to kill all the enemies and when you kill all the enemies, you can shoot the the big enemy, which wasn't as interesting. But, you know, it was it was a boss fight. It was okay. I won't even know about You know, I thought Glass was going to die after he <clears throat> So, you know that one part where Glass is by the bonfire and he's shooting all of like the ghosts or whatever and they like overwhelm him. I thought that was it for him. I was so confused. As to like when he was back, I was like, "Wait, 
What? Yeah, yeah. It it was a bit odd. Um, yeah, you just gotta kill three ghosts, and then it just like oh yeah, they're just I don't know like yeah, glass is just okay. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me. Can can we talk about like so you know when you get to the end of disc four, right? Where so weirdly enough, right, the game kind of goes linearly. You go from disc one to disc two to disc three to disc four, and then at the very end. Like the final five minutes of the game is on disc two for some reason. Yeah. It's like, let's go back to disc two. The the I got scared. the final room of the final room of the game, disc two, the spinning room. I think that might be my favorite room visually in the entire game. That room with all of the like the Chinese characters in these like spinning things. It was just such a weird, yeah, visually like I really dug the aesthetic they went for with that. I was like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. This is a cool looking room. I don't know what like it meant in the, the whole game or whichever or how like it kind of factored into everything, but I just thought it was really cool looking. Yeah, yeah. There's something surreal about the entire game for like once we like once you get into the village, there was something like really dreamlike after at, like yeah, just after disc two. I was like, what the fuck is this now? Because like so much of it felt like random and or metaphorical, perhaps or something. Yeah. yeah. I was like, "What is going on here?" I do not. It's know a very like. <laughs> it is. It is a very like. It is kind of the whole game is kind of a fever dream in a way, you know. I I wasn't expecting the game to be as crazy as it turned out to be, and I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed it so much is how crazy the game turned out to be. I love games from this era because they're just they'll just do crazy shit for the sake of it sometimes yeah that's and what, and what like. yeah and and this game kind of seems like the type of game where they just do crazy shit for the sake of it but i really like that it did that i thought that kind of made the game way more interesting by the end of it did everything seem to make sense to me did i understand a lot of why it was happening not always nope. <laughs> but like i was never not like i was never not intrigued about every twist this game put in i was like oh, okay Sure, why not? Let's go with it. You know. Let's talk about real quick on uh, why it's called Fear Effect and why and how that mechanic was so downplayed in the actual game, bro. Yeah, I didn't even. So real. Fear Hold Effect. On, my... Yeah, so Fear uh, Effect. It's called Fear Effect because of its main health meter, which doubles as a EK, uh, EKG meter. So when your character is scared or in a state of tension um your health meter starts to like you know go rapid you know and then if you're too scared you can get killed in one shot um and you can also replenish health which i didn't so the game like it's seemingly like replenishes health at set points it's called like a rush right you get like a rush yeah that's what they call it like a like a like a rush moment basically like a rush of adrenaline like the way that you heal in this game is you just get to a certain point and it's like you're healed it's it's quite odd. I was reading that it's supposed to be like when you do more calm things, I guess. So basically, if sneak you sneak killing enemies, doing well in yeah, gunfights, kill- solving puzzles, and go. discovering needed items that will keep Hannah's confidence high. Yeah. So that's all factored into this, but I never felt any of that in the gameplay. It, the it, there are parts it. like I felt like I felt like I did that stuff. I'm like, like my health might go from like red to like orange. But like it's still low, you know. Like I don't feel I don't feel like I can really like do things that make it increase. You know, it's maybe it is there, but it's like you said, it's so downplayed. You you wouldn't notice this naturally. Exactly. Yeah. True, true gameplay. 
it's it's however, however it's conveyed it is just not conveyed enough i guess yeah especially for it to be named after um the, the game, game or game. vice versa because like, i was really i would like even though the game has like i guess you could say like some monstrous enemies i wouldn't necessarily call it a scary game like i guess you could maybe call the game a survival horror in some aspects but like i wouldn't i i that's putting it lightly yeah yeah I, I don't think it's like i wouldn't call it a horror game or a scary game I, I initially like years ago I thought it was. I thought it fear effect. I was like, it's a spooky game. It's not. It's not really. The only thing well, that was scary was Deke's it. death. That was the only scary thing. And I, it it has some like jarring and gory things. I would say it's a very adult game. Yeah. But I don't think like but I don't think like if you scare easy, like there's you're not gonna get jump scared or like, you know, like who? Well, I, I like I was kind of thinking like real hard about this because maybe now that we've seen so much more media and things like and and truly scary games were like, oh, yeah, this is not scary. But maybe back then, some of those aspects of, like, going to hell or, like, Madame Chen turning into a demon and the whole brothel house turning into, like, some yeah, of the yeah. events that happen are sort of disturbing in um, just intrinsically, I it would is, say. Is, but, it is a lot more jarring, yeah, for sure. And it, it's pretty violent. And, you know, there yeah, are yeah. some sexy things that happen i guess uh, but there dying. is there is some yeah there is some like you know there's some teases as a whole you're playing as a woman she's pretty sexy here's some like slow like reveals behind the the wardrobe behind the mirror kind of deals she's it's throwing it up taking a shower Uh-oh. yeah yeah i it seems like they play that stuff up way more in the follow-up to this game uh but yeah it's there's some jarring stuff in it for sure like it is it is more over it like there's some crazy stuff that you see in like early 3D games and PS1 games, especially like uh, outside of the realms of standard horror. But for I think how popular this game and how mainstream it became, there's definitely some like there's some out there, out there stuff in it for sure. Sandy and me usually have a question that we like to include, um, whether it's one central question or a couple of questions that we sort of like to toss back and forth. Sandy brought up that. Sonny, what was it that um, would this game still be as popular or still have a cult following in the modern era? If it was released today, like, would it still have a similar cult following um, if it were made today or uh, which I think is interesting because I didn't know that this game even had a cult following. Um, I never heard anyone talk about it, never seen it in any videos, really. But it's so, got to if it's got it. If it's having no. Yeah, you're right. Uh, canned uh, re- or reboot, what is it, remake? Just instead of it being you, a video, you, it was just straight. You could do straight up like, yeah, like you could use like real footage from places. You you could you could actually do that, I think. And you could make it look, because you know the way like people look at a Resident Evil remake, right? Like a lot of people consider it like the high point in terms of um, at the time, you know, static images in the backgrounds. They're so high quality. Like, I remember looking at that in the GameCube when it came out, and I was like, that is the best-looking game I've ever seen, without a doubt. And when you look at it, I, I guess Resident Evil Zero is the one where they have, like, the original assets so they can pull that up to full HD. Like, that shit looks amazing. And even though that plays, like, you know, a tank control game, which some people may argue is outdated, I still think, like, I think that's just a, a good way of, like, it's just a different way of playing games. I don't think it's bad. I think that's just a, an interesting way to kind of create tension in a game. I think if Fear Effect came out and it had, if it looked as good as it possibly could from the video aspect of it, 
and maybe the controls were tightened up in a way, I think it would be like really, people would really dig it. I think for me, the story is a bit too disjointed and a bit, um, it is, it would be, I think the story would get critiqued quite heavily. I think it's too disjointed nowadays. I think that is what would let the game down. I think it's like if it came out and people like viewed it as the idea of a throwback to the sort of times with these incredible, you know, graphics and like video implemented on top of it. I think it could be quite eye-catching and quite interesting to people. But as a, as a gameplay element, you know, I think really the thing that carries this game is just its its style and its aesthetic. And I think a lot of that might be would would be a bit lost in the modern era, unfortunately. I can agree with that. Yeah, because it, like this the the story is is charming now because it's like well, I mean compared to what we was getting 22 years ago i mean it's 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 cool for the time for sure yeah but like if the story was told now there's a lot of especially because storytelling in video game has evolved very rapidly compared to that time that like very good now very good yeah like almost even 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 ps2 era it was a significant jump yeah so like it's just it wouldn't really mesh well together unless the story was also to get a revamp and that would take away from the rest of the game. That's just in, at that point, it's just a whole new game. It's not the same game that we played. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do feel. What if they did like a a Resident Evil remake treatment to to this game? Like, I don't think like it would work. Like 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 keep the spirit of the game, but just enhance like the aspects of it. I I think I I think they would. I think they would have to do a lot more. Like the good thing about Resident Evil Remake is that even though they added some new features to it, it's still at its core or its heart is still very much like that classic Resident Evil game. It is still very much like it is Resident Evil, you know? I think to make Fear Effect kind of jump to that level, I think you'd need to fundamentally change a lot about the game and how it works and how it plays, which I think they could do. But Yeah, because you'd yeah. have to change the inventory, like, you'd have to change the way you aim and shoot you'd have to change yeah some puzzles you'd have to change how the bosses work and stuff like i think it's it's like so much of this is so like like there's parts about the bosses and, and whatnot and like the enemies and like the puzzles and stuff where i'm like these aren't actually like good if this was in any other game i'd be like this isn't good it's literally the fact that it's a video in a way right it's like you're playing you're doing very you're doing like yeah. basic stuff, like basic video game things, like where you have to like, oh, don't step here when this is red or don't, you know, step here when the gunfire is coming off. But the fact that you're doing this on like on top of a video is like so cool. I feel like if you done this in any other way, it would just be like it'll be it lost. Lose it'll be completely. generic. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally the fact I think like a lot of aspects of this game, right, are from in many ways, I would say they are passable you know they're good the combat isn't the best in the world but it's pretty good you know the puzzles aren't the best in the world but they're pretty good it's just the way they're all tied together in this very strange and unique game that i've i can't really say that i've played anything else quite like it that whole thing kind of anchors all these different points for me and makes all of it kind of like enjoyable and fun for me you know, because I understand that they can't really make it any better than what it is. Like maybe they could, maybe they could tweak a few things. But I think even like 
weird or like poor and outdated gameplay elements are just enhanced so much by this strange way that you're doing it all. And if they were to make that in a modern era, anything but game. like you, yeah, it would just be a bad game. None of all the charm would kind of fall out of it, you know. That's not to say that I don't think it would be fun, but like if you were straight up to like, here's Fear Effect, people are like, what? Why? <laughs> why is this the way it is? You know, I think it's, I think it's honestly, I like, here's the thing. I would say that I really enjoy it, but I think it's very much a product of its time. And I think the reason I enjoy it so much is looking at it as a game that came out in the year 2000. I'm like, this is amazing for what it was when it came out. Especially really enjoy it for that. Yeah. I was going to say that might be a reason why the remake is in limbo. It's because the further in development they get, the more they realize, wait. This isn't gonna. gonna this isn't gonna adapt well, and because I think they were using Unity from the looks of it, from the way that the camera looked like, it looked like they were using Unity it's, for this. So, because because they're like recreating all the environments in like 3D, right? It's not yeah. a video. It's 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 they're like I guess the idea with the remake is that they're gonna improve. Like they might add the inventory system. They might make the combat better, right? Like, but I don't think. I would play this game for in a weird way, right? Even though I enjoy the game game for, right? Like, yeah, I I play the game because it's like, it's it's so strange and unique. I think if you make this like just any other tank control game, it loses really why the the spirit of what's so cool about, right? You know, because I the story is I like the characters. I think the story is kind of cool and kooky. I like the environments and the places it takes you. But like, without the weird visuals and the the FMV and all that cool stuff, it's just a very odd game <laughs> that may not play very well. And I I would like even if they were to remake it, I still think I would prefer to play the PS One version because of that element of it. Because there's nothing, very few games that do that. And yeah, I love that about it. That's like um, what it's like Medieval that got remade on PlayStation Four. So where it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a remake, but it's like this just makes me want to play the original Medieval on PlayStation One more than play the remake. Yeah, it's it's like the re- like I really enjoyed the remake of Medieval, but that's purely because that game was it was just Medieval, you know. Yeah. But like there was very there was nothing in that remake that was like that you couldn't already do in the PS One version. So you're really choosing where do you like HD, HD graphics or if, and like I love PS One graphics, I get a kick out of them. I think they're great. I love looking at them. So. I would play that version, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's like, if I could play a modern game, I got really nice graphics, but ain't nobody, not many people are making games that look like PS1 games these days. Hopefully soon. But there will be, I think, yeah, soon I think there will, will be. be in our San, renaissance. Sandy's generation of We're gonna people growing fuck up. fuck pixels. Let's get back to well, blocky my- PSX graphics. Let's go. Blood, Bloodborne PSX is the catalyst. I, Let's I think. go. We need because it. There was people, another one that was like a. It was like a shooting game. It was another. It was like a horror game. But it was like a shooting game, and it had like the fog, and it was made with like PS One graphics. I gotta find it again. But there's, I guess, there's a couple of like indie games that are low poly, but it's that like flat geometry esque look, or like a super it. pixel polygon. People have been doing it for a while now. Like they, a lot of indie development. I don't know if you've ever heard of like the. Like it seems, it seems mostly for the time being, a lot of it seems to be rooted in horror games specifically. Yeah. Because obviously, people take a lot of influence from Silent Hill, 
and Resident Evil, of course. But I don't know if you've ever seen like the the, the haunted demo disc, which is like a a thing. I think that's what I was talking about. Yeah. So developers do this each year where they just create a bunch of like indie games or like they might become full games, they might not become full games, but just kind of like fake PlayStation games essentially. And they don't always adhere strictly to like like a lot of the games look better than what a, a PS1 game might do, but they're very clearly inspired by the PlayStation and its aesthetics and everything. And like I just love how some of these games look. You know, I, I think like I look at those games and I think the visual elements that they use to create and kind of emulate this classic style is just in many ways more interesting than like I love like a game like Horizon. I'd get lost in and I'd enjoy and I think it looks beautiful, but there's parts where like I would just that old style and how people can kind of utilize that with modern tech is like way more interesting to me. I think you can make way more memorable than just out there things with it. Yeah, well, so with film, right? it's been i mean film's been around since the 1920s and they didn't have you know sound and color and they had different aspect ratios now directors and you know filmmakers will just force you know the four by three perspective do it in black and white like the lighthouse has like that black you know like so they call back to like the inception of like the um the evolution of that industry so i feel like games are now getting to that point um, to where they can start to stylistically choose like, oh, let's make this in like the PS1 early 90s, 2000 style. And we get a shit ton of games that look like the pixel art style. And yeah, you know, and it's, with it's, the, it's, it's what cool. is like that pixel 16 uh, bit? This No, no, the switch does it with the Octopath Traveler, the HD 2D. Yeah. So like that's a good mix of like modern and old where it's like, oh, shit, like it's I love that. There's 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 so many games I'd love to see kind of done in that style. Like I, I, I like I am waiting for them. They have to do Final Fantasy six in that style. It feels like it's just made for that. That is like the, the perfect way to do it. They're kind of doing something similar with like, yeah, Chron- yeah, like that's it's a, because it's a beautiful melding of the two styles modern tech while still kind of you know showing what was great about the past that's what i love to see and i think another big thing as well i don't know how big you guys are into like fps games there's like a boomer shooter what they're oh, called boomer yeah, shooters which all is the, like uh, doom quake. clones yeah quake and doom like there's uh, there's a lot of people who are like big into you know, like early 90s fps game boomer shooters is the term yeah Back in and our day, we just had a shotgun. Back, back in our day, yeah, we didn't have any narrative. You go from level to level, you collect key cards, you know, and you just you just shoot things all the time. That's <laughs> kind of, They're having a renaissance with that as well, with games like Dusk and uh, Ultra Kill and stuff. Like, these games look like games from that era, but they're made with modern sensibilities. You know, it's like a callback to the classics, but, like, they're, they're so good. There's this game I bought that was discounted on PlayStation Network called project warlock that game is so good i love project warlock it's so fun yeah but that's the style right like that doom-esque like hd but pixel yeah so like that that game it, it adheres to what's known as wolfenstein sensibilities where there's no verticality it's all like you don't go up you're literally just in like rooms that are connected to one another and it's it's just really fun it like it plays it feels really good to play and it has really cool pixel graphics but it's like you know you could see like a game like that in the early 90s technically if you wanted to I, that, it's so funny you could add filters crt filters i believe that game right something a random fact i believe that game was made by somebody who was uh, 13 years old 
Project Warlock was. 13? What? what? Wow. One guy. One guy who was that young. I don't know if he was exactly that young, but he was very young. And it was made by one guy. Like, I'm going to say that guy is like a genius. Did you say 13 or 30? 13. I, yeah, I can't really do my trees very well, but like one tree, 13 years old. 13. Yeah, I, yeah, very young. I don't know if that was the exact age, but I know for a fact the dude who made it was one guy and he was very young. So like, I played that game and I was like, a friend bought it for me for Christmas on Steam, I think. And I was like, cool, I'll play this. And I had a really good time with it. And then I read up on the guy and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe this, this guy made this game when he was so young. It's really fun, by the way. Project Warlock 2 is coming out soon. Check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah this dude's my, he's younger than me. Yeah, he was born in 98. So oh, when this game wow. came out, he was- he's probably, probably not 13, 13 but he's probably, probably he's very young. young. Yeah, he's probably like 15, 16 when like, he finished this Yeah, it was, he, was, he was crazy young. I was like blown away. Like that, 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 like that guy is gonna make some cool shit when he's like older for sure. That's like Carmack, John Carmack, and John Romero when they made Doom when they were really young. Like they were, you know, just just crazy talented programmers. That's like um, yeah, the shit. visual style and even the animations. It's not even like yeah, yeah it was all some like, great art direction here too. Yeah, on Unity, this is like I think Unity is like a really great thing. Yeah, it's 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 a really fun game. I like it a lot. <laughs> Uh, all right, I think that about wraps it up. I think we don't have anything more to say about this game, unless Sandy, Sean. So my final thoughts on Fear Effect is it is a really cool, really interesting, really unique game that in spite of its flaws, is one of the most memorable games that I've played on the PlayStation in recent memory. In fact, immediately after playing it, it made me want more and I'm very excited to play Fear Effect 2. I want to know more about these characters. I want to see more of this universe. And I want to shoot weird people under the bed more. <laughs> so that is my final thoughts on this. That is, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Uh, I'm just ready to play Fear Effect 2. Um, this, is, this is easily in the running for Boater of the Year. Easily. And we just got to... You better pray we play something better or else this is the winner right here. <laughs> this is it. Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I really enjoyed it. It would have been interesting to play it when I was younger and see like if I found it um, scarier or maybe more compelling or whatever. Uh, but uh, definitely not in my, not the running for voter of the year, but I think it's definitely has a lot of great things going for it, namely that it's super novel in its uh, FMV reliance. But other than that, yeah, I think if you're listening to this, you should probably play it. You should probably try this out. Play it. This is definitely like a must. Like if you have a PS1, this is probably something you should see like in action because I feel like it takes advantage of what it, it sort of encapsulates what that era of PS1 games um, or at least in that corner of PS1 games. This is a game that's a lot better to play than it is to watch. Yeah, I feel like if you watch like a long play of it, you might kind of because miss out on some of the the mystique and the novelness of the experience. Because like I said, at the very beginning of this game, I would walk into a screen, I would just stop and just look at the backgrounds and look at the characters. And I think the, the, the feeling of being in this and controlling it is is really cool because if you're gonna just watch somebody play it right 
you might as well just watch any old movie. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's the it's the feeling of playing a movie. I feel like that's what this game tries to give you, and that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, games are meant to be played. Yes, sir. For sure. But anyways, uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, you can find Sean on YouTube, obviously. Sean Shonson. Uh, he has great content over there. Thank Probably you. better content than we have here. It's it's uh, it's adequate content. It's good. It's okay. And it's make right. sure you guys add Buster Groove to his wheel, please. Actually, that's what you need to do. You need to tell me how to add stuff to the wheel because I'm going to add a lot of games. <laughs> you just, you got to comment and I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one game from any game of your choosing and then you can pick one game that only came out in Japan. So that means you have the choice of Buster Groove 1 and or 2. And then you need to find a weird Japanese oh, fuck, rhythm game, yeah. which there are many. Buster Groove 3 <laughs> is on a PlayStation 2. Fuck. You I know the gonna... people who made Buster Groove made Disney's Dance Beat, right? Yeah. Well, no, Disney's Dance Beat. Sorry, Britney's Dance Beat. Yeah, I found me. that out. Yeah. I was um, making a video and I was including Britney's Dance Beat. And then I was like, wait, they're the same people. <laughs> My which, whole child is alive, right? Yeah. I was like, well, Britney's Dance, Britney's Dance Beat is good, actually. It's Buster what Groove 4. Yeah, well, technically. Guys, make sure you comment, uh, like, subscribe. We appreciate all that. Um, thanks for listening and peace out. See you later, guys.